0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Liberty Portal podcast here on out to be known as Human Reaction, where it is our mission to arm you with the tools you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mono narrative. Today, to celebrate, we've got a very special guest in studio, Kendall Cotton, president and CEO of Frontier Institute. How are you, Kendall? I'm doing great. Good to be here. Fantastic. The usual suspect, David Rand. Howdy, everybody. And uh, glad to have Kendall back
1: as our reoccurring guest and a big fan of everything the Frontier does.
0: Kyle Mack, how are you, sir?
2: Yo, doing good. Excited to be here with my buddy, Kendall.
0: Absolutely. And we've got a killer list of topics today. Top two we're going to be discussing, first and foremost, the fires in Maui. What do we know? What don't we know? There are a lot of conspiracy theories floating around. We're going to get into all of those and then some of the implications of what has happened and what will happen going forward. And... A landmark climate change decision has been handed down by the courts in Montana. It has national implications potentially, and we will get into that as well. Uh, But let's start with the Maui fires. We've got a video queued up to just show you a little bit of the absolute devastation that has taken place on the island of Maui.
3: brutal that is so sad I, my wife and i were literally there two years ago sitting on that beach side drinking Mai Tais. that's crazy. and it's so sad to see it all gone
0: yeah yeah having been there myself as well it is it is surreal to know what that place was like and then obviously <laughs> what those people are going through and going to have to go through to to rebuild it mm. um
1: of well, the challenges is just, just what is the total human cost here? I mean, we don't really know. Um, right. Sitting somewhere around 100 people confirmed, but there's up to 1,400 estimate people missing. Uh, and then additionally that, because it's so hot, for all kinds of reasons that we'll and dig into, because there's so much misinformation about this issue. Oh, I, t- I pronounce that weird, weird. That was misinformation about this issue, my bad, uh, was that the remains are ash. They, are, they can't identify people physically. They have to do it by by DNA. Wow, uh, and that's also gets on why the press can't get let in, and why there's so much like secrecy around everything. Is because it's a giant crime scene where they're mm-hmm. trying to identify and confirm real who's dead and who's just missing.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you did a lot of deep digging on this topic. Do you want to kind of lay that out this for us? This is probably
1: the most I've ever prepared for on a podcast because uh, part of it was um, fires are something that unlike unlike a lot of them, um, America, Montanans kind of get. Because we're just around it a lot. And it seemed like so much of the coverage were especially the grassroots coverage by our competition,
0: <laughs> I guess, <laughs>
1: uh, of uh, small podcasts and small commentators talking about this who were just getting things straight wrong. And just, or Or this is probably the worst case of outright misinformation I've ever seen outside the mainstream press
3: right? now is there it's misinformation but has it verged into or is there any disinformation yeah i, guess, I think there's legit question.
1: disinformation too okay for example when the first press conferences the mayor comes out and he says the devastation is like a bomb and then a bunch of people came out and said oh bombs started it so mm. obviously it was arson so a bunch of the right jumped onto that it's like no 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 no. It, it, one there's deceptively edited videos that's disinformation right and two a bunch of people went off that and created more misinformation off that information where they meant well but they you know were categorizing something that was not in that we have no evidence of arson although there is circumspect evidence but not direct evidence of arson um and so that is what you know, at least last week too, this is when that happened. And before the last podcast, I really thought about trying to cover it. But as I dug into it, it was so unclear about what was going on at that time. We didn't talk about it because of that. I really wanted time for more information to come out. And, uh, we're actually in a pretty good spot, although we still don't know the final like start of why this whole thing got started in the first place. We, that's still unknown, but we do have good leads on a couple different theories and we can dig into those and talk about how people should treat these theories and how we should think about them.
0: Let's do it. Um, so, I mean, we know that, that this was all around a hurricane that was hitting the Hawaiian Islands, right?
1: Not really. It was, it was, it was south of the Hawaiian Islands. One of the, interesting that, so the, one of the reasons why it took me so long, too, is I don't know anything about hurricanes. <laughs> so, I had to do a lot of, a lot of reading. We're landlocked. We yeah, don't know yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, hurricanes go like this, circular, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the winds were prevailing winds, which usually go west to east, were going east to west. So the wind was blowing over the mountain and to the ocean where there's a, where there's usually like a lee right there. You know, you know what the lee is, right? Everyone, it, like when you're mowing and you go around a tree and you have that spot that's all tall on either side of the tree as you move around it, that little area is called a lee or the area on the other side of a mountain where there's no wind because the wind's going over you. In this case, the wind was so fast, 80 miles an hour going down that area. It was one of the reasons why it's so hot, right? So one of the, one of the other conspiracies there is, is like, oh, they use thermite. To, to set these fires. Why? Because there's melted metal. Well, a couple of things that you would know if you're from a fire state like Montana is that sometimes wildfires just get that hot. That just happens. Yeah. Like you'll have cars that burn from yeah. wildfires that wildfires
3: melt. will turn, you know, the ground into glass. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's been known to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's that. But additionally, there are additional factors in this
1: case that turn that town into a blast furnace. And that, and, and obviously move the fire very quickly. Many people would think, oh, well, fires move slowly, right? Regardless of the wind, right? Because that's what they've witnessed in their life, right? The, the fire you start is actually hard to start when you're go camping that one time a year that you go camping, if you're not from a Western state, wildfires aren't like that, especially in these conditions, very dry, very windy. They move very, very, very fast. Um, and that's been part of like the confusion, for example, Why was it so deadly? Um, Uniquely windy and dry with the weather service basically telling Hawaii this and very not much was done about that. Uh, Why also was it deadly was Hawaii had the biggest public notification system uh, run by the government in the country, right? They have the sirens everywhere for tsunamis and it failed miserably. Uh, They also have, I don't know if you guys remember the story, the uh, missile warning system that went off on accident a bunch of years ago. That was part of this system. Now, it went fine then because everyone had power and internet. But in this case, nobody had power or internet uh, once the fires got started because they turned off the fires, the, the power after the fire had been started. Uh, and then uh, air, uh, air the air systems didn't go off. Now, this initially was the air system didn't go off. Therefore, the government wanted all these people to die. It was, it was very quickly leapt to that place online. No, probably not. Uh, doing so, uh, at least the defense of not doing that, was that they put out the TV and the and the and the like the phone notification systems but most people weren't getting reception so they couldn't receive those right the government didn't know that at the time uh, what they claim and then what they're now claiming is the reason why they didn't set off the air ride, the, the sirens is because the sirens had classically been taught people to go inland right and so everyone on this fire the fire actually starts inland and moved to the coast Right. So if you're at the coast and you start moving in, you're you're running right straight into the fire potentially. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, is would that have gotten people out of their homes or home from work and then realize there was a fire going on, right? Sure. Would that have been better than nothing? Right. Open question, but it could be, that's just like a mistake. Like mm-hmm. it's completely subjective. How do you know what the right That's right. Is there?
3: I, I think that there's always going to be in situations like this, especially with, you know, multiple levels of government involved, there's always going to be a certain level of bungling. But uh, I don't think that people should be rushing to, at least the way I operate with information like this online, especially when it's happening in real time through Twitter, you know, and you're seeing coverage of this pop up. I I don't rush to conclusions that this was, you know, actions like the sirens not going off was intentional or something like that. Mm -hmm. And and in this case, it was intentional. It's just with a
1: decent reason, not a perfect reason. Uh, and, And what it does show is that maybe, well, definitely, it definitely shows. And there's actually government documents to back this up they systematically underestimated the danger of wildfires Hmm. because islands are a dangerous place to live (laughs) when it gets dry and you're on a wildfire and there's a wildfire, even though you're surrounded by water. Um, and partly because they don't do desalination enough, maybe, or maybe they don't have like the water services to like defend. Well, all the population centers are on the beach, right? So like, like most of the population, right? So, but they still put out fires with clean water, like from fire hydrants. Why? Right. These are, these are like perspectives that weren't a challenge before, and they were probably met underprepared for this particular challenge because their major focus was tsunamis
3: and missile attacks from China. Interesting. And I I think that you made a good point that some of the dis and misinformation that is floating around about this probably comes from some people who don't really experience fire season uh, every year like, like we do in, in a state like Montana. Um, some of the kind of uh, you know interesting conspiracies that are floating around online that I've seen have been you know videos showing um, you know areas of homes that were not touched by the fire and then right next to devastation. And you know the, the, the suggestion there is that why were those homes protected? uh, you know, maybe they had connections or, you know, something like that, something's going on. And, uh, that's something we see all the time, right? Yeah. yeah you'll see, you'll see an
1: endless Mordor looking field of burned. And then like a house that is completely burnt down, like a, like a barn and the house right next to it, completely fine. And and part of that is building material. Now what people forget is Lahaina is a, and I didn't know this, I had to do the research. So, but a lot of people are leaving the conclusion when they see the video, Oh, I can assess this video reliably. But Lahaina is a, historic town completely built out of wood and old building materials that are very, very flammable. The newer, bigger, nicer houses are all built out of modern building material, which are far more fire resistant. So a lot of people look at that and they say, there's a conspiracy here. And it was like, well, no, that what your evidence could be, could be of that, but it's more likely Occam's razor, the most straightforward, least evidence required thing is probably the most reliably true thing. Doesn't say it is true, but it's most reliably true. So we want to deal in the probability of what it has happening, but, the, but not what the possibilities are, because the possibilities are endless, right? Possibilities are, yeah, it's the aliens decided to laser the forest and cause a forest
3: fire, right, <laughs> for climate change or something like that. You know, the possibilities could be in the the probability is is not that. Does that make sense? Now there are there are laser theories floating around yes. apparently. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah,
1: and one of them was actually used the. A the picture of and this is this is disinformation right? A picture of a Tesla or it's not a Tesla, a SpaceX launch as evidence. There's another one of a lens flare from a transformer going out in like Chile, right? And then like the lens flare makes it look like a little laser, but it's just actually just a lens flare from a, the a video right. recording of a transformer exploding.
0: So I want to jump in here and just say that you know, as our our mission is to give people the tools to decipher what is fact from what is fiction. What are some ways that a person could see an image like, you know, the SpaceX launch or the lens flare from Chile and understand that that is not what it is being presented as. And, and and one way, and I'll just throw this out there. There's a way to reverse Google image search, isn't there? Yeah. So you could say, if you saw it on Instagram, you could take a screenshot of it and then you could go to Google and put that image in your Google search bar and it would turn up that image or similar images, right? Mm-hmm. And then you could see, read the, you know, the captions, click through some websites and pretty quickly and pretty reliably find out, okay, this is not actually a space laser in Hawaii.
2: I, I <laughs> right? will say the community, the community notes feature on Twitter has been, or x.com as it is now called, yeah. <laughs> uh, was pretty good. Cause that's where I learned about the lens flare and Chile thing was mm-hmm. just through community notes on Twitter.
0: Um, yeah. And so that's <laughs> like the Twitter version of fact check.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a community kind of decentralized. Uh, yeah. The community comes together and basically says what's true and what's not kind of a thing. Sure. And, so whereas like. checks
0: each other kind of. And Instagram or Facebook or similar have, have, you know, these sort of arbitrary third party fact checkers, but this is actually Twitter users who collectively yeah. make.
4: I yeah, yeah, I mean, you can
2: like apply to be a community notes member and you can be somebody that goes in and, and that's why you'll see like, like the white house has been getting community noticed. Uh Elon Musk will get community noted on his own platform. You know, like these types of things are coming from, which is great. Like it's much a better feature than Facebook, Instagram, or any of these other sites who just have like a trust and safety team that often gets told by the FBI or something like that on what should be uh, allowed or disallowed. Right. Yeah, yeah. Where this is now just like a decentralized and community notes will be wrong sometimes. Like, sure. That's just going to happen, but hopefully it's closer to the truth than otherwise would be.
3: Well, I think that, it's, oh, 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 I was just going to say, I think the key is, is just being willing to engage in the conversation. So oftentimes, I mean, there's so many people who see something pop up on Facebook or Twitter and they, if it uh, comports with their values, they just retweet it. Or they, you know, uh, pop off with an opinion or something like that. And, you know, what I try to do, and I think that this is good practice, look at the community notes, go look at the conversation that's happening online with some of these uh, events to figure out what the hell's going on before you decide to elevate it. Mm -hmm. I mean, use your voice responsibly is part of what you're saying. And
1: and additionally, uh, use your mind responsibly. Um, Be skeptical of what you read, whether it's coming from a someone who fits your books or someone who doesn't. Additionally, that uh, incredible claims should require incredible evidence. Mm. Right. So if, if it's something we've never experienced before, such as a space laser, (laughs) uh, that would require incredible evidence. Right. And so in, you see what appears to be incredible evidence, beware and make sure it's authenticated. It doesn't have to come from the world health organization to be (laughs) authenticated, but definitely make sure that you're not giving voice to something false because even if you're the person who really does believe in the space laser conspiracy theory, the last thing you want to do is elevate something that is false to then decredit, you know, discredit your own theory. Right? So even if that's in in the, in the, in the camp you're in, do what you can to bring authentic evidence that actually helps your theory. Uh, If you, if you have a theory for whatever reason that is.
2: Well, it's also, we live in the eight, like if it comes from a screen, like just be cautious in general <laughs> yes. because we live in the age of deep fakes, AI manipulation, bot farms, all of this stuff. Like you got to be very careful with any amount of information that you see on whether or not it's true. Like right. you, you're never going to be 100% certain of anything really these days. if It's right. coming from It's a screen.
1: understandable that people are, are skeptical of the mainstream institutions that are failing so much, uh, but don't use that as a reason to just become the puppet of people trying to manipulate you who just happen to not be part of those institutions. So absolutely, um, and on back onto the uh, real quick, and I want to make this point: some people have accused the person who's in charge of the emergency system that would let off the sirens of being un- underqualified for the pos- position because his only real career qualification before this was being the deputy chief of staff for the mayor of Maui. Hmm. Right. So it's a political appointee position and maybe he screwed it up and maybe it should there should be a higher standard for civil service in this area. But we know that it's very typical for many areas of the government that the best way to get into a high level position of government isn't to be necessarily be the most qualified, but to know the right people. Right, And that's true for private business too, but it's even more disastrous when this is emergency services and you've systematically underestimated fire
0: risks. Can I bring up one thing? And this is a yeah. A conspiracy theory that uh, has popped up around this, right, is that the chief of police in uh, Lahaina is the chief of police that was in Las Vegas during the shooting that occurred, the mass shooting that occurred no there years ago. I have not. Seen I that. think I, I have not saw seen that. Not heard that. <laughs> I saw that. Kyle, can you confirm this for uh, us? I will. Yeah. I will look at it. <laughs> it I,
3: I think it, it, this. You might bring me wrong, Kyle, but it, I looked into this a little bit, and it, I think that the response was that he was not chief of police but he was on the force Mm, so he wasn't the
0: chief in las vegas i don't think he was okay
3: yeah if i if i'm remembering right from from some of the conversation there but
2: there is also the fact that he was a captain in las vegas Mm -hmm. and then he's the police chief in maui Mm -hmm. wow uh, as of uh, 2021 i don't see how
1: these <laughs> things could possibly be related but we don't know the motivation of the, of the shooter in the vegas case So therefore, uh, how
0: could we know it's like our friend who was uh you know in the risk management department at uh you know bear stearns or whatever and then goes to silicon valley bank <laughs> oh, yeah. it's like a really bad track record yeah <laughs> mr uh
2: gentile i believe <laughs> was his right. name, if Although, i remember correct to be fair wait wait, wait, wait. to be fair
1: <laughs> I'm not sure the police chief has anything to do with fire prevention. I'm Usually. sure not. Yeah. I'm sure not. Come on, guys. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think the allegations were around. <laughs> Let's how... dive into
0: this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, is straight, it is It is a crazy coincidence. That might be more, right? If it is arson, right? If, if we got evidence of arson and then we got evidence of the arson near had connections with the intelligence community. Yeah, well, they no, were. I, th- I mean, like, we don't have any of that evidence, so let's
3: not. I mean, why it's not real. Really and there's real talking a lot more about. simplistic explanations that are very viable. Yeah, completely.
0: Know? Right. But there were reports of like roads being blocked by police, so that mm-hmm. you know, preventing people from leaving Lahaina during the the yes. heat of the fire. Right. Do you have anything? Well, more it, on was, that?
1: it was. It was. It was preventing people from leaving the fire wasn't, isn't exactly right. It's more like there were areas that were blocked off because it was too dangerous to cross, right? Cause the fire doesn't uniformly move to the, to the shoreline, right? So they were trying to get people to go the safe way out. And a lot of people are questioning whether or not they made the right calls there. Right. So, so it's not
0: that the roads were blocked to prevent people from leaving, but roadblocks that are meant to steer people in a certain way could have prevented people from leaving unintentionally
1: yes or, or or we're trying to prevent people leaving what the people thought was safe but turned out not to be sure right? we don't we don't actually know i mean there's not a detailed enough account that i would be able to find to suggest when those cases were made one of the great things about this moment is that there's people on the ground who can say this is my experience and we get eyewitness experience and actually i have one linked uh kyle if you want to bring it up because it is fascinating uh listen to this guy talk about how he got out um and that holds the powerful accountable, but we also need to have a little bit of charity because these are human beings trying to make the best of the calls they can in a desperately terrible situation. So, and I have you know, treat with charity their critics, right, and treat with carrot charity the people who are in a crazy situation that they were underprepared for by their leadership for years uh, and misserved by their you know by their leadership by the people who are supposed to be in a regulating energy monopoly, which we'll talk about in a little bit and then put in a situation where they got to try to save the most lives they can, right? That's a terrible situation to be in. So like, it's important not to be like, oh, they're worth the government. They're evil. Um, these guys might not be. They might be just trying to do the best thing they can do at the right time, of of the, at
2: the worst time possible. All right, yeah. Here's the video of the eyewitness.
5: It was a firestone. I know, but there was tornadoes of ash the size of charcoal from a barbecue. Like being thrown by baseball players. I'm ducking behind walls. I had to kick in the door at Bubba Gums to get out of it because I was getting pounded. And then Bubba Gump started on fire and I'm running down Front Street and the wall, there's like 80 people and the ocean was on fire. Firefighter told me because the first layer of ash causes the seal. And then the next layer of ash was all the ambers. So the tide line was on fire and had to jump through the water and come up through the fire and 80 people, they were on the wall, everybody started jumping in. Coast Guard was out there grabbing people and I was like, no, I'm good. I was born in the water. I'm tied. And they're grabbing people and I swam. I knew my phone was only good for like 15 seconds being submerged. And then swam for like a half mile north. It was like nothing you've ever seen. This was bad that the people in their cars that were dead. And from asphyxiation and the fire blew out the car. And you just saw the numbers of the dead are so wrong. People. Yeah. My God. Wow. Can
0: I just, before we go any further, like what a catastrophic tragedy that this is. Mm. Like, I think it's important that we understand what's going on and we try to suss out this stuff and set the record straight. But like, let's just for a second stop and appreciate the fact that this is an incredible tragedy.
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it it, it was an urbanized area that got got burnt up. I mean, this was like the city center. You know, it's not a big city, but... The fact that this many, I mean, it's like a hundred people have died. That's Maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah like, right.
2: like that number is just coming from like them going into the houses and finding like their skulls and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah. the, we, There's still so many people missing and you can only presume are probably dead. Right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the crazy thing. If
1: it is anywhere near 1400, that's going to, it's going to be one of the biggest tragedies since 9-11. Mm-hmm. Think about that in scale and scope. And it's a natural tragedy to the degree that we think it was caused by natural causes, potentially by malfeasance and things like that. But that and what we're talking about trying to suss out what's true here, I definitely wouldn't want anyone to take the perspective that we're trying to be harsh by doing that or, or telling like we've been here, we've seen it, as you guys have said. That isn't saying that you're not trying to reduce the tragedy of the situation. What we're trying to say is like this is a tragedy and, you, and you've experienced this place and it's, and it's a terrible thing that it's gone now. Uh, and you know, I think a lot of people, and this is a criticism I have of the, um, of the climate change folks here were very fast to say this fits into my books, into a narrative. I want to tell about this without any evidence. And I, that really disgusts me. It's kind of like after a mass shooting, someone says like, Oh, this is why we need gun control. Right. It's like, man, the bodies aren't even cold yet, bro. Like, why are you trying to turn this into your political thing? We do need to get to the politics of it eventually, but geez, man, it's too soon. Like give it a, let it breathe for just a minute. Um, cause there's like a human tragedy here that shouldn't be reduced to a simple story that fits your prior convictions about what the country should do with energy policy. Mm-hmm. We're all
3: sad.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and so, this is also true on the other side, just to point out, yep. you know, a lot of people are very quick to criticize first responders or, you know, the the management of the situation. Mm. And I think that there are rightful criticisms that can be made. But yeah, I think you're very right when you say we have to be charitable and understanding these are human beings trying to make the the best decisions that they know how to in the midst of a really unprecedented situation.
3: Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a reminder too that, I mean, we've advanced very far as human civilization. You know, we have, we're, we're, we've been on the moon, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of amazing things. But we still are nowhere near a match for uh just the the power of nature the power of um the natural forces that we live on on this planet i mm-hmm. mean it's a it's amazing, and we definitely
0: are nowhere near being able to completely have control of that mm-hmm. absolutely and I do want to add too that you know being fallible humans, it is important that we understand what's going on in a situation and we do uh, crit- be critical of poor decision making that is happening now in the aftermath, because if, you know, for example, uh, there have been stories that aid is not be like civilian aid is not being allowed into Lahaina. And perhaps we can touch on that. If that's the case, that seems to not make sense to me. There's no reason why FEMA or whomever is managing that situation should be doing that. And by criticizing it, being aware of it, but being accurate about the criticisms, hopefully we can put pressure on those people to allow for that aid to get to the people that need it. Right.
1: Right. It's, it's a, it's a story that isn't clear yet exactly why these they are being prevented. There are private charities that are operating there, but there's a bunch of individuals around Hawaii who want to do something that isn't just give to a private charity because honestly, like many institutions, a lot of private charities have low trust right now. So they're like, I would rather move a case of bottled water that I go buy from the store down there myself and make sure it gets to somebody who actually needs it. than trust you. And there's a lot of pros and cons to that whole situation, right? A lot of it means people will give who otherwise wouldn't. Uh, but it also means there's a lot of people running around an area that's very already crowded and packed with people trying to help and people who are, you know, stranded. Yeah. Um, additionally, that there's a lot of people who are criticizing the government for just simply not responding well. People are seeing this online and then saying, well, I'm going to go do something. Um, we actually got a great video of some folks that are, that are doing on some private charity here where they actually filled their boat full of goods brought some ski dues because you can't get that close to the shore cause the shoreline's too far out. And they would, they were loading up the ski dues and driving it in to hand to people on the, on the beach uh, to get, you know, just more private services. in, and that's like, that's some straight entrepreneurship. That's like a really heartwarming moment. I, I think um, demonstrating that there are tons of people who want to help uh, and that a, a monopoly service for helping probably isn't the best way to go about it. We should let everybody help us to whatever degree. To most of that, I can. love when that kind of stuff happens. Right.
0: So they got these nets on the back that they're
5: usually-
1: So this, and this is one of those things, right? Is you just don't have, if you say, oh, the government's going to handle it. A ton of people are, this is, this is an unintended good thing of this is a lot of people are saying, I don't care if the government's going to say, no, I'm going to go do it anyway. So this, that's a good thing. That's bravery. that's courage, man, because you don't know what happens if FEMA comes after you.
0: Um, but why, I mean, importantly, why would FEMA come after an individual for helping in a tragedy? Yeah, I think that's like not the proper use of government resources in a tragedy, Mm -hmm. right?
3: I I guess, would it be because they're in the way or there's a concern that they're going to get in the way of their operations? It's kind of like, you know, people flying drones around fires
0: here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. Um, And that makes total sense. You don't want Mm -hmm. just a bunch of well-intentioned people going places they shouldn't go, potentially getting into dangerous situations. There needs to be some sort of strategy and plan. Um, But there are reports that I've been seeing, and granted, these are social media videos, supposedly from people that are in the middle of of the situation. But again, you have to weigh, you know, is this being accurately reported? But there are reports that I've been seeing videos. I've been seeing of people saying that the military is not, not doing anything like the military specifically. And there are plenty of bases around uh, Hawaii, obviously. And, and that, you know, people are being restricted from leaving Lahaina and then coming back so they're trying to get you know essential medicines that they need on the other side of the island or you know for, for elderly people and stuff and they're they're not being allowed to come back to their homes inside of this perimeter and so mm-hmm. i mean is there any sort of clarity around that side of, of yeah things?
1: and it's, it's it's a strange thing too because like even letting people back into lahaina proper could be a problem right because it's an active crime scene at the moment right and they're trying to it, it, there's some balance there that isn't clear what's the right answer right because if you're saying You can't go back to your home, even if it's not burned down because it's literally surrounded by bodies of people that we're still trying to identify, you know, is it a reasonable limitation in your Liberty to say, Hey, the the families of those victims probably deserve
3: this time to try to figure out who passed. Mm -hmm. Sure. And there's always, I mean, in, in situations like this, there's always just so much emotions and fear going in all this that, you know, people are doing their best to, to navigate this situation, but it is very emotionally charged. And You know, I've been in types of situations like this and, you know, uh, sometimes you just don't understand, you know, the reasons that somebody's given you for why you can't go to the other side of the island. And um, it just, you know, it becomes something that it's not. It becomes, you know, this person's preventing me from going there for no good reason right. uh, when there could be good reasons. Right.
1: Oh, and and then other times it's an actual abuse. Like after mm-hmm. Hurricane FEMA, the government took their time to go. If we're going to go confiscate Let's get a bunch of guns after
0: Hurricane Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. Hurricane yeah, so wow, Hurricane FEMA. Hurricane <laughs> FEMA. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's. There are potentials for government abuse. We should be vigilant on them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't understand why you wouldn't want someone who had someone placed to stay out on another island, why you wouldn't let them leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. mm-hmm. that's just one person you don't have to take care of in a FEMA camp.
0: Well, absolutely. And there are people who have vehicles that are operational that can get people out yeah. to get away from the disaster area, to go places where there is food and water and shelter. Right. But th- they're not allowing gasoline in mm. to refuel the cars. There's no gas there right now. Mm. So it's like, at least, and this is what I'm hearing. Right. Again, internet videos got to be skeptical. There could but. be
1: bad practice. I mean, and then criticizing the government of not being comfortable with other people helping is like a reasonable criticism. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: So, um, well, one of the other things that always happens in, in these types of situations anywhere in, in the United States is, um, and I'm not sure if, if Hawaii has this or not, but anti-price gouging laws, typically come mm-hmm. into play here because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you the, the price mechanism is powerful, right? And markets are powerful. And there's a very, very strong incentive for entrepreneurs to come into the space and provide water and to provide food and to provide the things they need. There's charity happening right now, which is great. But uh, people would pay a premium for um, quicker access to some of these resources and um, allowing prices to reflect that and to say that, hey, maybe water's worth $100 here versus where it's plentiful in, in other, other places and you could pay $1 for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that creates the incentive for entrepreneurs to come in and to say, well, I can make a profit on this and I'm helping people. Mm-hmm. So they at the market can allocate the resources where it needs to go. But in states that have these anti-price gouging laws because they think that, you know, charging too much for a product or service is uh, not okay. Mm -hmm. um, And they have some idea of what too much is. um, That gets in the way of the response here.
0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at the Frontier Institute, a free market think tank that believes in solving problems with more freedom and less government. Their mission is to elevate powerful stories and sound policy solutions to break down government barriers so that all Montanans can thrive. To learn more about them, visit frontierinstitute.org. Let's get on with the show
2: to Kendall's point here is like, I just looked up uh, Hawaii does in fact have anti-price gouging laws and the penalty can be anywhere from 500 to $10,000 per day per violation. Wow. This, it's, yeah. this is
1: the classic example of why libertarians and people who know economics look like aliens to regular people.
0: Yeah, right? because I mean, to me, and I, I am a libertarian, so self-professed, right? I understand why right? people would, would listen to what you said about allowing someone to charge a hundred dollars for a case of water or whatever and go, that is the most inhumane shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> right, who could possibly right, do that? Right. It's not inhumane to the people who were willing to pay that to get
3: water. The people right. who need water. It's... I when mean, there's not enough, right? When That's, there's not well, enough. Well, this, the this is the point
2: is it. water Water all of a sudden becomes way more valuable because everybody wants it. And if you don't end up upcharging it, you're going to end up having massive shortages of water because everybody's yes, going hoarding. to be just well, And to how,
3: do, how does the market, how do the entrepreneurs, how do the people who make water know that how many wa- how much water is needed in maui right if they don't have a price that correspond with that if the price just stays one dollar for a bottle of water then w- nobody's telling them that maui might need more water other than just you know the news reports and they can say him hey, yeah they probably need more water but when you have a price they can say hey if the, if the price that people are willing to pay in maui for water is a hundred dollars They need a lot of water. We better
0: ramp up production. And maybe it's worth fueling up my jet ski and making really inefficient runs across the ocean from here to there to do this thing for Because
3: then entrepreneurs and businesses know, okay, if I can sell water for $100, then the resources that go into delivering that water and producing it like a jet ski, even if it's more or uh, less efficient than usually, the usual production uh, pipeline that they would have, uh, it's worth it. And so they can actually ramp up production to meet the need. But when government passes laws like this, uh, it gets in the way of that market response. Think about it. Everyone was handing out um, the response to COVID,
1: right? A bunch of these yeah. distilleries kept started making hand sanitizer because they could officially do so. They had that incentive to do so for public relations purposes. but right? They weren't selling it. But the, if there was an actual shortage of hand sanitizer, it would be a great way for them to make extra money when they can't sell alcohol otherwise. And then additionally, like the private enterprise people who would normal modes of delivering this are less efficient by ski do, right? It's going to be more expensive, but it is worth your time. If you can sell it, that said, it doesn't imply that businesses can't have other practices too, such as you're a gas station near Lahaina and you want to be charitable. You keep on selling below the new market rate. Sure. And then you, and then, and then you prevent um, stockpiling by basically, you know, um, giving them a, min, a, a maximum amount. That can yeah. Like it. rationing it kind of rationing it. Right. So th- that is, not prohibited in in our worldview. It just says, don't, don't place an arbitrary cap that could actually be more destructive than it is helpful. Absolutely. Because the other, other cases too, what can can the consumers actually tolerate? If no one has access to internet in the area, maybe they can't give you money in response to your water ball. So what do you do then? Well, the entrepreneur takes it on the nose because you know, information. So
3: yeah. yeah, well, and, in the, and this is where we always get into the situation where you know the government's response to this is is who knows you know who knows how much it's going to cost might cost millions we have no clue because they're not responding to incentives they're just uh, they have a bureaucracy that makes some decisions and says well we think that we need this many bottles of water mm-hmm. so this is how much money we're going to spend to do that and um, not allowing. The prices to match the demand and that price mechanism to work, you're leaving knowledge on the table. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're basically creating a knowledge gap that uh, can't be met and, and you're going to be allocating resources inefficiently and things are just going to cost more and more. And that's the big problem
0: with government top-down control of our economy. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to dig through on well,
1: the... Let's get into the actual causes of it. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. do yeah. that. All right. So the... One of the things to keep in mind is the overall landscape of what we're dealing with in, in Hawaii and then nationally when it comes to land, right? And fires, wildfires. So nationally, most wildfires, about 85% are caused by humans, right? Not necessarily intentionally caused by humans. Don't want to lead to that conclusion. Usually it's a mistake. Usually it's, I, you know, didn't put out my campfire. Down power line. Down power line. A, um, uh, a car, you know, backfiring or something like that. The... In Hawaii, though, it's 98%, right? So they have a much higher incidence rate. And, uh, and the other counter to that is that the other the denominator is changed in the western United States because lightning strikes are far more common against a much larger landmass. Uh, lightning strikes maybe aren't as common. And there were definitely a lot of study about whether or not a lightning strike had been recorded in this area and they, we do have like satellite measurements of lightning strikes. I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently that's a thing. And there are no detected lightning strikes at this time. Hmm. So um, it's also important to note that historically last year was a particularly harsh fire season. And there was a whole bunch of dialogue in 2022 about how they need to do better about fires and starting fires, uh, both on the end of what caused the fires and like in 2022 there were natural cause fires and there was actual arson. That's important. Uh, and the arson might have been environmentally motivated.
0: Interesting. Why?
1: So. Um, three people were basically caught and prosecuted in court uh, on starting a fire on purpose in order to stir up news about climate change mm. and and pressure governments to act on climate so change. So
3: eco-terrorists. That
1: was the accusation. Now, that's not the court's accusation. The court just said you did arson this was the coverage around these people based upon forensic evidence of their Facebook page and stuff like that. They said, these guys are eco terrorists. I don't know if that's true. I don't know the heart of the human soul. Right. <laughs> I, but I do know is that these three people
3: were, were, were prosecuted for that. And it, and that was reported. If that's true, that is one of the most evil things that you could possibly do to, oh, to hurt other people in, in the name of your ideology. go further. Sometimes you got to break a few eggs. This happened <sighs> last week on the exact same day as the Hawaii
1: fire in Bozeman. Yeah. Kirk. Kirk uh, Hill. So that Kirk Access, a guy came out, threw gasoline, lit it, and drove off in a white Toyota and the police are still looking for him. This I mean, this happened when? Last, last week. The exact same day as the Hawaii fire. It, isn't that a nuts it, coincidence? And, and that was
3: eco-motivated?
1: We don't know. We don't yet. know. Oh. The guy hasn't been caught. Yeah, we haven't okay. found him. We know it's a... We, <laughs> The dude looks like you, Kendall. He's blonde, oh. <laughs> about five foot eight. <laughs>
0: Uh-oh.
1: <laughs> hey, <Kendall.
2: laughs> you don't drive away. <laughs> okay, <so>. Right, right. <laughs> it, it could have been a rental. It could have been a rental. could have been a rental. Yeah, been a rental.
3: <laughs> That's wild. I mean, I mean, I guess. I mean.
2: Kendall just comes on this podcast and he's like, I don't know about it. I don't know anything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So
1: thankfully, a witness was there, got a picture of the, of the car and put out the fire. Wow, that yeah. is so lucky. Yeah, I mean, in in let me let me point out about just how disastrous this could have been. Kirk is literally sitting at the base of the hill that goes up the hill to the aquifer for Bozeman. You could have had what do we have, ninety thousand people in Bozeman without water within a mm. day, right? If Not, that water supply yeah it ninety
0: to hundred thousand in the Gallatin Valley. Yeah,
3: yeah. there is definitely you know. Uh, like arson's a really interesting like criminal pathology, but I think that what's the more interesting kind of connotation here is this idea of this eco-terrorism. I mean, it happens way more than people realize. I mean, there was a really big problem with it, especially um, in kind of the western like forest states back in uh, the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, there was um, these eco-terrorists and these radical environmentalists who were spiking trees. For those who don't know what spiking trees is, it's basically putting like a big metal spike in a tree so that when a logger's out in the woods and he's cutting down a tree with a chainsaw, it will hit the chainsaw and cause, I mean, basically the the chainsaw explodes in their hands and it kills people. And people did die um, when when this was especially ramping up back then. And uh, I think that um, that kind of sheds another light on the climate conversation and all of the um, fear-mongering and, uh, you know, the the, the the how dare you stuff that we mm-hmm. see from the media about this stuff, um, you know, if we're not careful, it provokes that kind of radicalism, right? And that's not good, right? No.
1: It's just like, so we need to be sure to warn everybody, just because someone shares the same ideology and someone else is a terrorist in that ideology, that doesn't mean everyone that shares that ideology is a terrorist, right? Right. So there's plenty of Muslims, we're peaceful, but Islamic terrorism exists. Denying that makes you a slave to the people who are trying to dominate you. Um, The, the same thing goes with environmentalists, plenty of peaceful environmentalists, but it does exist in denying that. Uh, denying the potential pitfalls of that, it just makes us a, v- a better victim
3: for mm-hmm. those people who want to commit violence. Well, and even enabling it too, and, and trying mm-hmm. to justify this climate anxiety that we're we're seeing where people are, are not having kids because they're worried about the climate or, you know, they're they're condemning people for flying on planes or driving a car, a gas-powered car. I mean, it's it's only a hop, skip, and a jump from that to spiking trees and delighting mm-hmm whole mountains on fire you know
2: well it is a religion in itself right like you know humans are a plague on the planet there's too many humans like we we see that narrative get thrown which then leads to shouldn't have kids because we don't want to put them through the suffering that is on the planet right Mm -hmm. um that's the that's the big issue is like and then you start to indoctrinate kids into that ideology and they start to just stew with resentment and they don't really know what to do with it. And then when they hit their twenties, they want to, they want to go all Greta Thunberg and mm-hmm. be, you know, they, they, they want to do something. And what do you do about it? Well, these people over here are, are damaging the planet. This is our home. The mother guy is suffering. So then they end up having to, uh, they try to act it out because they're just stewing re- with resentment and they have been their entire like childhood. And yeah. mm-hmm. once they're adults, they can kind of do something about it. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And you can tell exactly the same story about people who are, who are really into race politics. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell the same story on, on, mm-hmm. on both, like, the white nationalist front and the Black Lives Matter front, mm-hmm. right? So, like, each time resentment becomes your motivating factor, be very, very careful. And if you meet someone who's motivated by resentment, be very, very careful with that person. Uh, totally agree. So, what was the cause? All right. So, the best guess we have so far was probably mismanagement by the utility monopoly, right? So they have a privately run monopoly, uh, that monopoly is managed by a public service commission. These guys are in charge of regulating that monopoly to make, to force what is a privately run business who can get outside equity, equity purchases, who operates on market prices to set their prices. Apologies. My laptop decided to get weird all of a sudden. Um, and regulate that they're actually fulfilling the commitments that they say they're going to commit when it comes to how they're running the company, right? So, this is in, in free markets, when do you have a monopoly, right? The only time where you have a monopoly that's very clear is what's called a natural monopoly, right? Mm-hmm. Where in the marketplace, it would be so economically inefficient to have a competitor that no competitor ever arises.
3: Correct. A, a regional monopoly is usually that, how, how that manifests, right? It would right. be, you know, uh, a remote region, like for example, a, a town of a hundred people in Montana uh, probably is only going to have one grocery store mm-hmm. or or <laughs> yeah. one plumber, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Things like that. And so then you get monopoly pricing, monopoly prices, is when you can raise prices without a new entry coming into the market. So that those are both common in rural places. It makes sense in a very low populated, maybe island place. To have a monopoly that would arise spontaneously on the marketplace so then what do you do to prevent monopoly pricing meaning the price goes up people can't afford that product and the product is so critical for the rest of the economy there isn't a a, a, a sensible um incentive for that um uh for, uh for for allowing the monopoly pricing that's when you have a case for regulation right this is a milton friedman kind of consequentialist case for regulation now, there are other narratives you could talk about, right? Such as most, most monopolies that exist that are regulated in this way aren't natural monopolies at all, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, tons of monopolies that are energy companies don't need to be monopolies. Many states exist with very competitive energy markets that aren't monopolistic. That said, it does a, a, that said almost all of them are regulated, right? Uh, there was a point in time where energy wasn't regulated in the United States, and there were downsides to that. There are also upsides such as cheaper energy to get started. So I, there's, there's all kinds of trade-offs here. Anyways, why I say all that is because I really hate all these people saying, oh, this is an example of capitalism failing because this is not capitalism at all. This is a monopoly sponsored by the government. You couldn't start a new energy company here, right? That's the other part of it. Once you lock in a monopoly that you say is natural, it is no longer a natural monopoly, right? Because you prevent people from starting a new energy company and in this area if you wanted to.
0: And so why would someone want to start a new energy company in Hawaii in this case?
1: Well, because you, you had an opportunity to make a profit if you felt like you could do a better job. Were they doing a poor job? No, according to largely according to reports, other than the fact that apparently up until this moment, there was a disaster moment. Now here's, here's a good example Fine. of poor job. So relatively their prices were within normal pricing of, of delivery of electricity within the United States. They weren't exceptionally corrupt. There wasn't any corruption charge or and like that. And we didn't really see that other than that, there was accusations about the leadership of the energy company and their connection to like big money capital, a BlackRock and Vanguard and stuff like that. And there's a lot of conspiracy theorizing around that. He could just be a wealthy person who owns stock, but, but <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on about that. Um, so let me get to where I was at. Sorry. My computer decided to turn off with a firmware update. Um, so allegedly the monopoly did not turn off the power when there was a high winds warning, which is standard operating procedure in many places with high winds warnings. You said they did not they turn They did off. not, right? So it wasn't until after there was already a fire that they turned off the power.
0: So the risk there was if if you know there's going to be high winds, you think there might be some down power lines, you have the risk of generating a fire if you don't turn the power off first. Correct. Okay.
1: Right. Correct. They also maybe underinvested in below ground, you know, power lines because they do live in a tropical Hawaiian, you know, place. Right. So this is going to get high winds. They get typhoons and hurricanes. So maybe they overinvested in above ground power lines. They should have invested otherwise. That would be their fault. Right. It
0: it is substantially more expensive and difficult to maintain underground power lines than it is to install and maintain above ground power lines. Right.
1: So there, there are, of course, trade-offs, right? And then uh, the most important thing, and this is the sense in which this was caused by climate change, the most important thing was a Wall Street Journal report came out. Uh, Michael Schellenberger tweeted about it, which is very important. They basically said, hey, yes, the power lines are a big part of this, but why were they so systematically under-investing in new power line infrastructure, either putting it below ground when, when that would be a good idea or replacing the poles or making it more secure? Well, they cut the budget of doing that. Oh, additionally, one other thing: there's a lawsuit that says that the they that they had malfunctions because they they weren't maintaining the power lines because trees would grow into the power line, right? And that could be one of the causes.
3: This here. lawsuit was existing prior to the fire.
1: No, no, it got filed this week, this last uh, okay. week. Okay, right? yeah, wow. after the fire. So this lawsuit basically said this was caused by growing power lines either falling over or things growing in it, and them not cutting back the vegetation like what they should do, and that's the existing regulations. Is that they, one, replace them, keep them from falling over. Two, don't allow trees to grow into them. Why was that budget cut? The Wall Street Journal reports, because they started investing more in green energy, they cut that part of their budget. One of the things to note is when you have your pricing set by a monopoly, by a commission agency, you face bad incentives to invest in things that grow your equity, grow your capital. And that means new projects, not necessarily more maintenance. Right. So you have bad incentives, both from like the green angle and from the regulator, regulatory angle where they say what they want is all this high, you know, all this safety. Right. But that's just corporate lingo. Right. 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 What they really want is to increase their stock price as much as they can. And then the regulator should be the one stepping in and saying, no, no, no. Your goal is not to increase your stock price. Your goal <laughs> is to deliver cheap energy to your people. Right. And that's maybe why you shouldn't do this next green energy project, because it's going to raise costs and you're going to raise costs while cutting your safety budget, that's wrong, right? That's what that regulator exists to do. This regulator failed to do that. Knowing ahead of time, one, that there were many warnings of more fires, right, because of last 2022. Two, they had a fire plan that they never, like, apparently did not execute on at all. You can find this on their on their on on the government website, uh, where they were saying they're going to do all these fire breaks, and they were going to invest more in, you know, cutting down vegetation and new poles and stuff like that. Apparently that didn't happen. And, and you could look on TikTok about this. It was funny. There are entire TikTok videos, just people going around Google Maps, looking at all the places where the vegetation's grown into the power lines. And it's abundant. It's everywhere. It's crazy. Wow. So there was a there was a very systematic corporate malfeasance to not invest there because they had perverse incentives because they don't face a market competition. And the regulator set up to do so didn't require them to because they were more mm. interested
3: in green ideology than in delivering affordable, reliable, and safe energy. Well, that's interesting. It's It, it seems to be almost there's this, like, there's a, a conflict, I guess, in, in this ideology where you, you can either focus on the equity and social justice or you can focus on inv- better environmental outcomes and you can't focus on both, you know? So you're diverting resources away from improving safety to uh, mitigate the effects of climate change. So as the climate's getting... You know, warmer and droughts worse. You have to be better prepared for potential for fires. That's where you should invest in greater safety measures. But instead, they went and focused on, I guess, building out their equity program at their company. And uh, this, is the, this is the result. That's right. See, is there, this, there's some
1: great uh, anecdote TikTok videos, too, if you want to look at it, Kyle. Because you know, that, that showed just how bad some of these poles were and wow. the vegetation growth is. Hmm.
0: Is this? Uh, is there a component here that where their access to capital is sort of curtailed based on ESG scores and metrics that they might've been investing in some of these measures in order to, you know, retain access to, to capital.
1: Yeah. But I mean, when you have a little captive consumer base, right. But your price, price increases have to be approved by a political body. I don't know how ESG plays into that. That would make you different other than Mm. that. In general, you have an incentive to, to build more, equity holding things like things that go up in price and value to increase your stocks, to increase your profit margins for your owners. Um, Usually why we have energy monopoly regulators is to try to short circuit that problem uh, and try to make sure it's guided in such a way for the public benefit. Mm -hmm. Uh, ESG could play a role in that to the degree that people are more interested in, in buying not a new coal fired power plant in Hawaii, but rather a solar plant or a wind plant. So, but we don't know that. I don't know that. We don't know that in this case. We just know that that's a general incentive they face. Sure. And we know that they did cut that budget and reallocate that money to new projects. So that's my case for why this was a, not just a corporate problem, but this was a massive government failure on every single level, right? I mean, on the high vision level of what is the purpose of energy and like the climate change cult religion thing that's going on in our, in our social order. And second in the execution of doing your job as an energy commissioner right because they're saying yeah cut the safety thing and do that they approve those budgets that's part of being part of public service at least that's what it is in montana i can't imagine a democrat blue state that doesn't have that part of where the energy commission is approving the budgets and the spending of the energy monopoly oh yeah yeah or well, the rates.
2: well and that just shows how much these esg dei all these acronyms they're just what they end up doing is they end up, uh, misaligning incentives. So nobody can actually do what's proper because everybody's like, well, we got to focus on this area. We have to focus Mm. on this area. And it, and you know, I've said on the podcast many times where it's, it's like a Trojan horse that creates misincentives, which then causes all these catastrophic failures everywhere, whether or not that's due to it just being kind of this religion that everybody's following, or if it's malicious, who knows that can all be debated. But, uh, that is kind of what ends up happening here is just like, you can't get accurate information because everybody has misaligned incentives. Mm. Um, well, okay, so here's a, a TikTok video of one of the things that you were mentioning here, Dave. So
4: this is how the fire started. It's because if you guys
2: look
3: down here, so the are
5: fucking trees and the trees run to the wires. Wow,
0: this, they're, the they're like line. practically falling on the the wires. Yeah, you can go ahead and pause in there. Wow. Yeah.
1: So. uh There's a whole bunch of misinterpretations of that, right? So they keep saying, this is why we need more regulations on energy companies, Um, but they weren't following the regulations they had, right? There's no enforcement of these because you have to have a a service commission that actually is interested in enforcement. Um, Additionally to that, uh, they keep on saying that this was caused by climate change, that these are, that these conditions, but, but what they keep saying is like, that this is like historic conditions. These are rare, but they're not new. Many wildfires have burned up a large part of Hawaii in the past, like when you go geological scale, like a lot of uh, real fires have started in Hawaii. And this is not a historically, this is historically bad when it comes to the human cost, but not in terms at all when it comes of of the amount of area that burns up in Hawaii annually. Uh, This was terrible when it comes to the circumstance of being of when the fire started and the winds at the time and the government response and everything's, all these things came up together in a, in a storm that were absolutely terrible in the human cost. But when it comes to the actual area burned up was statistically not that significant. It just happened to start right in the worst place, right at the worst time with the, with the wind. Um, yeah, that is, that is some of the major misinterpretations I've seen that. And then lastly, or not, not just lastly, but Vanguard Blackrock own the energy monopoly. That's another thing that people have found, right? Cause <laughs> you can look up who owns what, Uh, but it isn't sure why that is important. Other than that, the CEO of the energy company that made this decision, it is making $3 million a year. So great work if you can get it.
0: No kidding. Yeah,
1: this guy, this guy made the decision to cut the safety budget of cutting vegetations and then invest in green energy.
2: Well, why that's relevant is we mentioned the ESG stuff. Yeah, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, is the guy that push, pushes ESGs on everybody. <laughs> so right. like that—that that is where the connection. Right, it's, it's like lies, almost right? even if they weren't owned by that, they would still face that same exact uh,
1: you know incentive,
2: right? Well, the, uh, Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street—they own majority. They own the most shares, like primary shares, in like eighty percent of publicly traded companies across mm. the United States. Mm. So like if you're going to be part of this, like they have the voting power on across all of these these different entities. I think Mm. that's where the conspiracies along this lie. Whether or not they're actually pushing how much they're involved in this and like whether there's malicious intent or whatever, like, you know, that's up for debate. But I think that's where the connections lie, where where it's relevant because they're there. And
1: the other one is that in the same agenda that this fire was started intentionally in order to um, set up for a 15 minute city, right? So there's this, World Economic Forum paper that basically says, you know what make a great spot for a 15-minute city? This city that, they, that just burned down, right? So they, this is a classic post hoc ergo proctor hoc fallacy. In philosophy, this is the rooster crowed and then the sun come up. So what I deduce is the rooster made the sun come up because the rooster crowed and then that happened, hmm. right? So this is another one of the things I, like the internet, they'll say, well, the WEF wanted this to be a 15-minute city. There was a fire that destroyed the city. There are people who are making offers to buy land in this area. um, And therefore, this is a grand conspiracy in order to create a 50 minute city using wildfire. Hmm. Now, that could be possible, but it's not probable. The most likely example, the most likely outcome is that the sun, that the earth revolves around the sun, not that the rooster made the sun come up. The most likely example in this case is probably that. Individuals are responding to the market incentive of, I have some extra money. They might not need a home and want money, so I'm going to make an offer on their home. That burned down. Oh, so people are coming
3: it. in and, and, and making offers on these properties? Yeah, right. Okay.
1: Yeah. It could also be Buying that the WEF mm. made a proposal to do this, and it's completely unrelated to the fire, much like a rooster is unrelated to the sun, right? It, these aren't necessarily you know, causal things, and there's no hmm. evidence for them to be causal.
2: It is worth noting, though, too. Like, I just read BlackRock's uh, mid year outlook that they put out, and uh, they had a whole theme in there about their ability to harness mega forces uh, in there. And and one of those things is climate related. tragic events and you know <laughs> like, well, yeah but once again, like I, that doesn't mean but, she's, but, they're but, causing but, but no events. i'm not saying yes. that they're causing it yeah. but like the uh the them being able to kind of harness the events that are happening right. for low carbon emission stuff sure. basically is part of their agenda on how they're allocating resources and how they're strategically moving resources mm-hmm. prior to the big credit bubble that's going to be popping likely soon.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, right. I, I, yeah, that, that is mm-hmm. different, right? Yeah. But some people will read that and they'll say, therefore, they caused the event, which is also a logical fallacy. Mm-hmm. This, in this case, though, you're, you're right. Taking advantage of tragedy in order to say it has to do with climate change in order to fuel your investments would be tremendously immoral, but a very common behavior. In fact, there's a lot of grifting in this space. A dude wrote a book 24 hours after the fire, probably using AI. Yeah. And this, it went on Amazon, went super viral uh, online when people discovered this and it got very unpopular. And I, I just pulled up the link and it's been removed from Amazon. So, <laughs> And what a scumbag. Oh my goodness. What was the book about? Basically about why climate change is the blame for this, this tragedy.
2: Yeah. It, it's just a grift. Right. And like, that's one of the things I've really respected about Michael Schellenberger's reporting on this. And he's the one that's been really kind of popularizing all the, the grass stuff around the electrical lines. But, uh, he's very much showing of like, no, this isn't a, this, this isn't necessarily a climate change issue. There's all these other issues around this that are bad bureaucracy, everything that we've just talked about. Mm. So, uh, it is important to kind of spot the grifters in the space right now, because there's a lot of grifts happening, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to a lot of the private charity stuff is like, be careful with the private charities going on. And like, I'm, I'm reminded of when the disaster in Haiti happened and uh, the Clinton Foundation went down to help and none of that money made it to Haiti. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, like, remember that in these tragic events. Right. Yeah.
0: And just speaking of grifters, I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should when it comes to these developers offering people money for their Freshly destroyed home, like for the land. I mean, like that's just yep. shitty. Like just, yep. just plain, it's, you know. I bad get it, but I'm also, I'm it makes also, yeah. it makes capitalists look really it, bad. It, it, exactly. it does. It's a bad
1: PR thing. That said, there might be some people out there who are like, I would like to liquidate my property right now. Well, then and put you it. Know.
0: Then put it on the market. Yeah, but right. you don't need to be cold calling people who just right. had their home burnt. Like their yeah. families' bodies might still be in there. For fuck's sake! Mm-hmm. Like this is it's. I'm really upset about that, if you can't mm, tell. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, think, I, I just think it's terrible practice. Yeah,
3: and, and I get frustrated too, Joe, with, with people who are like, well, no, that's totally moral. They're not hurting anybody, and it's not, uh, it, it's not uh, violating the non-aggression principle. And so, therefore,
0: <laughs> have at it. And, you know? this, and that argument <laughs> is exactly why people look at libertarians and go, you're nuts. Yes. What, how can you possibly? It just—it sounds so heartless and cold, right? And right. and and libertarians are really good at being analytical and rational, but this is not a time for that. This is this is an emotional moment, and so that's why I think mm-hmm. it's it's just way not the right time for that.
1: Yeah, I, I I do think that there are. You're right. If you should, if you're interested in this, you should wait for the people who are suffering the tragedy to move first. <laughs> right. I mean, that like, would be the decent thing. Yeah, that's right. the decent thing. And I don't, I don't think there's probably enough cultural space given to. It's okay to buy someone's home that's burnt down, but you probably shouldn't do it and make an offer a couple of days afterwards. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
2: But there is an element of like, if they have to liquidate, it might help them just, you know, get some money. Right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, right. that's true. When they need it, there is right. that too. Certainly. Yeah. It,
1: it, it, there's, there's like, a, there's an angle in that that should never be done. All right. Or whatever. And that's wrong. In fact, we know in Montana, when houses burn down, people often move. Right. And they just sell the property to somebody else because they want to deal with the headache. Right. Um, but there, there's, there's, you know, God, it's it's a it's a terrible tragedy. So obviously, <laughs> exercise caution. Right, and then we have the federal government's response, right, on this, and that's that the federal government has offered people seven hundred dollars, um, and Biden's going to visit, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard's not very happy about it at all. <laughs> that the government
0: has offered them seven hundred dollars, yeah. or that Biden is going to visit, yeah, or, or both. <laughs> both. <laughs> uh,
1: and she she's been going on a, a getting a lot of news hits on this whole thing, and remember who Tulsi Gabbard is. Uh, Democrat uh, representative from Hawaii uh, literally took um, Kamala Harris's ambitions of being a the president and drowned it in a bathtub <laughs> on live television. It was
3: now, the best, one of the best cinematic moments of presidential bait history ever. Now, was uh, which island was Tulsi from? Was she from Maui? I don't know. Actually, I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Do we want to watch this? It's about three minutes.
2: Oh uh, yeah, sure. I got it up.
4: Power outages force schools to close. Joining us now, Tulsi Gabbard, former Hawaii Congresswoman and a Fox News contributor. Um, Tulsi, you just got back from Maui. Please tell us what you saw there. This is so heartbreaking for all Americans to see. Yeah, Laura, it's it's difficult to put into words uh, this tragic loss that continues. To grow, that we're continuing uh, to see and experience and feel uh, every time there are more and more uh, n- names and, and numbers of our friends and neighbors in Lahaina who have perished because of this wildfire. Now there's still over a thousand people who are missing. There's still the vast majority of that area of devastation that needs to be gone through by those who are that are that are conducting this recovery operation. Uh, but I also want to speak to the many, many families who live in the community surrounding Lahaina, just north of that historic historic town who were continuing to struggle. Many of them did not have power for days. Uh, they were told the water was contaminated, having to shower and bathe their children with bottled water, uh, cut off from communication. The cell phone towers were down. They had no Wi-Fi or internet connectivity. These are people who stood up in the midst of this tragedy and, and did everything they could to help each other. The sad part is we are eight days past this wildfire, and I'm in constant touch with these community members and leaders, they are still not seeing response from the county, the state, the federal government to be able to go out and help them. The community support hubs that they have, are 100% community-led, volunteer supply collections, conducting all of these coordinations on their own. They feel like the government doesn't care about them, and and that's a horrible, horrible disservice to people who have gone through uh, a kind of loss that that we can't even imagine. No, I mean, we have a lot of commitments around the globe, and we're not getting into politics here. but. You know, we do spend billions and billions of dollars and allocate it to you know other countries' issues and problems. And this is when we realize we you have to, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first before you can really help others. And these people need help. They need help now, not, not you know, a week from now. That's exactly right. When you think about, you know, there's a mom, a woman named Andrea, she's a mom, a stay-at-home mom raising her kids. She has stepped up and spent every day and night trying to be a coordinator to get the supplies that volunteers are trying to bring in and oftentimes having to circumvent blockades put in place by the county just to get those supplies to them, to get them to where they need. Not only are they not getting the support that they need, but oftentimes they have been getting blocked from being able uh, to receive the support from their friends uh, and neighbors uh, this is a this is a crisis that is continuing on. It is not at all lost on the people of West Maui when they're told that FEMA is going to give those impacted a one-time $700 payment. And as they look at the news, they're seeing tens of more millions of dollars being sent to Ukraine. Billions. Some of them said, hey, maybe if we just change the name of Maui to Ukraine, maybe then they'll pay attention to us. Telsey, uh, and I know all the breaking news tonight about the uh, background of the chief emergency so I if, I, if
3: I were Biden or Biden's administration, if I was an advisor, uh, where the heck is Kamala? Why isn't she stationed no, on the ground right now? No one wants Kamala <laughs> but anywhere. You don't know what she's
1: going to say, bro. <laughs>
3: like but she doesn't have to say anything. She should be handing out water bottles. Yeah. She should be helping people. Yeah, but like, when she say? what she means,
1: like, fire is a
2: word with four <laughs> letters. <laughs> let, like, let us start by recognizing
3: <laughs> what we're wearing and, <laughs> yeah, on the table.
2: <laughs> I, uh, Kamala will, will not ease tensions at all. No, but, but I mean, uh, Biden's <laughs> too old. Biden's too old.
3: Send Kamala. But uh, I mean, really, this is what I think people are craving for yeah. right now. It goes beyond politics. We need people who are leaders in our country who can come down and say, no, this is a, this is a disaster and I'm going to lead from the front. I'm going to be there on the ground for however long it takes to get this sorted out. That's what we need from a leader. I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican. Right. Uh, that's that's something that we're looking for. And obviously, they're just content to write a check and say, hey, good
1: luck. You, you could yeah. turn
2: it into a unifying moment, right? Yeah, which exactly. Would, which, which would ease all the polarity that you want that? Right yeah. You
1: want that Bush moment where he's standing up on the wreckage of 9-11 saying, we're going to find them no matter mm-hmm. where they are. And everyone, no matter who exactly. you are, you're like, yeehaw. Like you're, you're into that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and you want that from, from a leader. I, I get that. There's also like the leader of the governor and the mayor, for example, have not been as helpful as they maybe could have been. Obviously, Tulsi has some criticisms of how they've executed so far. But then they're also floating. Oh, well, we're you know what we should do. Maybe maybe what we should do is prevent people from selling their homes. We got to keep that from happening. We're not going to force insurance companies to cover insurance claims. But we will prevent you from selling your home. Oh, also, we might be buying your home. Oh, also, FEMA might be actually taking occupation of this area, and they don't necessarily have to give it back to you. There, there's been a lot of bottom-up bubblings of concern about what the governor and the mayor are doing when it comes to the plan for Lahaina afterwards. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, that's. I, I think that that's just the. I think one of the problems is that as our government has just grown and grown and grown over the last. Hundred years, really, in this country, um, we have developed all of these bureaucratic systems for handling even the tragic events like this. And uh, what it what it creates is is a system of incentives where people are saying, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run this playbook out. I'm gonna, we're gonna do our disaster response as we planned it, and you're gonna do your job, and I'm gonna do my job." And uh, it, it it does not lend itself well to being a dynamic leader. And to be say we're going to put all that aside, and we're just going to go and, and do what needs to be done and help these people. And mm-hmm. um, that's that's the problem with with uh, this big, ossified, bureaucratic system that we have now.
2: Well, mm-hmm. also remember, uh, Tulsi, she, former congresswoman in there, and after she dismantled Kamala and, and ran as kind of this anti-establishment figure in the Democratic primary in 2020, 2020, right? Yeah, 2020. Um, she got primaried out and there was a, a lot of forces against her to push her out from her, from her position. So is like, remember, it was like, <laughs> she she has some history here. Yeah, no, it was, it was, was 2016
1: and it was, it, it wasn't Kamala that killed her. It was Hillary. Right. Because she was yeah. accused of being a, a, a Russian spy, mm-hmm. a Russian asset. Right, Russian well, no, asset. She, she
2: ran in 2020. She wasn't ran in she? both. Yeah. But she yeah. killed Kamala
1: in 2020.
2: Right. But yeah, that was, yeah.
1: Yeah. But it was, uh, it yeah, was well, yeah, and then it.
2: Hillary called her a Russian asset yeah, and then yeah. there was all the stuff cause she had a meeting with a, uh, with uh, Bashar al-Assad in right. Syria and stuff. Right. Like, so she ended up getting the, uh, a lot of the, the policy, Trump right? treatment yep. of being hated by her party and getting pushed out and primaried out and a lot of mega donors going against her. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Mm. It seems just so easy to do that. I wonder why. I, I mean, other than just this is the way we've always done it. But like, why Why wouldn't Biden go take that win and
1: drop oh, in
2: and be right that? and no? do
3: that? I, I don't.
1: Well, yeah. it's, it's
2: the same thing. Like, remember, with uh, East Palestine, with well, everything also, that happened there. Too, right? And right? No,
1: These are baked in voters. They don't have to persuade anyone in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, that's this the cynical the view, right? Yeah, yeah. that's wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's, if that's it was the, like Florida, you're right. Or that is a cynical view. I probably should, should avoid. Well, no, I, c- <laughs> yeah.
2: cynical doesn't mean bad. I know. Oftentimes, <laughs> the cynical view is correct is the correct view. <laughs> right. But that is that that but is how it works. The worst right? interpretation possible. That's but that's, that's how politics works. It's mm. about power. Like wow, mm-hmm. these are baked in voters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter as much to the base. Mm -hmm. for like for the uh, Democrats,
1: other than the third party watching it, which, and I don't know how you would feel if you're a Democrat watching this tragedy and then be like, where's the president and Mm -hmm. he's, you know, on vacation or something. So anyways, uh, obviously please consider donating to a reputable charity. There are all kinds of charity trackers out there that try to do a good job about ranking where legit charities are to, to help out if you can. Um, I do want to note that there is a lot of uh, disagreement about whether or not you should visit Hawaii at this particular juncture, even if it's another island, uh, because of the taxing of the resources there. That said, it's almost completely dependent upon tourism dollars, so Mm -hmm. it might be worth doing. I I don't know. I I leave that to individuals to to kind of suss that out, but I do recommend that um, at minimum charity, and and if you can visit, it probably will be a good thing because they got smashed by COVID, and then this happened, and it's going to stress even things even further. Um, obviously, you know, not staying near the area, but in the uh, related areas and being understanding when you're there or what people aren't available well, to do. Well, your also also like o-
2: Oahu and the Big Island, like they're like entire like these different islands are like entirely different ecosystems. Like they're mm-hmm. completely unaffected by the fires pretty much like Oahu is just or sorry, the Big Island is just a big volcano rock basically. Right. So like <laughs> they're not affected by this really. Yeah, no, uh, um, the,
1: the um, uh, I think the case is that a lot of those people are volunteering their time. Mm-hmm. So if you do go understand if you're if you can't get all the services you otherwise would, you know, be cool. Yeah. And there yeah, are cool. yeah reports just cool, of
0: <laughs> there are reports of people like asking for discounts from hotels and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, oh. it's like, that's just inappropriate. Like yeah. understand the situation, have some tact, you know,
3: that's like the people who come here and there's like a, a wildfire and, and Yellowstone Park is full of smoke and they're like, it ruined my vacation. It happened <laughs> It happened during the,
0: the 500 year flood that we had last year. People were, right. you know, yeah. couldn't go on their Yellowstone vacation. They were writing bad reviews of the National Park.
5: <laughs> <laughs> like, One star. <laughs> yeah.
4: like,
2: Why'd they let it flood speak, while I was there?
0: <laughs>
1: speaking of which, this is the perfect bridge moment. Okay. For the very same
2: reason, we have the hell case. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, let's uh, break down what is the health case because this did get a lot of attention. Okay, so what what has them.
3: happened here is is this? Uh, there was a, a national environmentalist group that has actually tried to run a a case suing state governments in a bunch of different states. They landed on Montana and actually got something to stick. And so um, this case held via Montana. Um, was a case made up of a bunch of, I think it was 16, like teenage and young children as plaintiffs. And their argument was that Montana's uh, a system of laws that accommodate fossil fuels and greenhouse gas emissions is contributing to climate change and harming the environment and therefore harming them. And so they were suing for damages because Montana has a right to a clean environment in our state constitution, specifically. Right. Well, I mean, their 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 case was that um, we're, od- we're we're we have harm regardless. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so let's I mean let's go into some of these uh, alleged harms because frankly, gentlemen, they're laughable. Uh,
2: <laughs> There's a lot of hurt feelings from what I've seen. So that. the Wall Street Journal,
3: the, the Wall Street Journal put it this way, and this is great. The, the Wall Street Journal editorial board weighed in on this decision. Oh, and I guess I should mention what actually the judge decided in this case because that's what's getting all the attention here. Montana, uh, the the judge on this case was the first judge to actually take this case to accept, you know, weighing in on this case and. The judge actually decided in favor of the plaintiffs this time, and and agreed that Montana contrib- Montana's system of laws uh, contributes to climate change, which harms our environment, which then harms the plaintiffs, and uh, substantiated and said that the plaintiffs' alleged harms uh, were recognized and were legitimately or reasonably caused by montana enabling fossil fuels and a changing climate um some of these alleged harms are uh uh, so the, the the wall street journal piece put it this way the 103 page decision is more spiritual experience than legal analysis
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, like
1: cli- no. it sounds
3: like climate religion to me yeah. it, it, well it <laughs> is but i mean take a look at some of these so this this thread here goes through um some of the alleged harms by some of these plaintiffs
1: can you can you blow that up kyle i can't quite read it uh, yeah i
0: can i can read it for you here uh uh, This is tweeted by Oilfield Rando. How insane is this ruling? Well, the judge thinks a five-year-old has standing because of their, quote, feelings like loss, despair, and anxiety, stemming from the effects of climate change. So
3: so some of these these, uh, uh, alleged harms were things like feeling distressed about, feeling forced to consider foregoing a family because they fear the world their children would grow up in um another individual one of these young kids who was a part of this lawsuit claire has been impacted by fear and loss from glacier smelting
2: <laughs> this, this 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 quote on here is a 2 year old a 2 year old A two-year-old? What? When the suit was filed, one of the plaintiffs was was two years old. Two years (laughs) old. (laughs) The the judge ruled that the two-year-old had suffered mental injury stemming from climate change.
3: Lander has seasonal pollen allergies, which are worsening due to the increased pollen count and a changing climate. (laughs) That means, that means, wait, wait, that means things are greener. (laughs)
1: To be clear, you don't get increased pollen if things are all dying. So what is it? What is it? What is climate change? Is it making things drier or is it making things wetter? The the grass grass
0: is growing more is what that means.
1: (laughs) The grass is growing more.
3: (laughs) Now, all of this pollen means that lander... He's an accomplished musician and theater performer and often performs outdoors. Climate change and wildfires have hampered his ability to perform music and theater at a
0: high level.
1: You're killing me, man. This is terrible. Oh, God. (laughs)
2: This is incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Hold on. As a musician myself, I agree. <laughs> Sign me up.
2: You should get some damage. So give me yeah. some damages. Yeah. Baby. You can't drum
1: quite as well when you got the sniffles, right? That's right. Well, the yeah.
0: smoke is it's just so unpleasant. I i need money. And fires
1: wouldn't happen. And dander wouldn't happen if it wasn't, wasn't for climate
3: yep. change and carbon. <laughs> well, and, and, and here's here's the crux. I mean, climate change, maybe if we take the global... Effect of climate change, but what was at issue in this case was simply Montana's contribution to that, if you could
0: even quantify that. Yeah. Okay, can I ask a question? Sure. Does, does wildfire smoke from other states that blows through Montana does this does this play into this at all? I feel right. Like that's
2: like an interstate commerce thing. All right. Wouldn't that go into that yeah cause, externalities. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Supreme Court case at this point. Of <laughs>
2: Take it to the Supreme so, Court.
1: So, okay, so it doesn't have to do with the clean, the right to a clean environment.
3: Well, it does because okay. it, 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 one of the harms is that it's actually harming their constitutional rights. Right, okay, right? all right. But, but uh, the, the, the kind of um, bigger finding here that has implications for other states beyond Montana who don't have a right in their state constitution to a clean and healthy environment is this uh, linkage between harms like anxiety and mm-hmm. being worried the glaciers are melting to climate change and the government's complicity in enabling uh, greenhouse gas emissions that further climate change. And so um, there's there's a lot of concern nationally that this uh, decision is going to influence court cases in um, other states. And, you know, functionally, what it does is um, it jeopardizes a much to a much greater extent the state's ability to. Issue permits for new energy development um, because uh, it essentially this opens up the door for environmental groups to come in and sue governments when they permit energy projects because maybe they didn't do enough analysis of the harmful impacts of uh, greenhouse gas emissions that this project might emit.
1: Yeah, so like the the story told from another angle that kind of backs up it a little bit is uh, a couple years ago there was a new uh, liquid natural gas energy plant that was going to be put in in the Yellowstone River. In Montana, near the Yellowstone River. Uh, with that project, they went through an entire environmental review. They basically said, here are all the practices we're going to do to keep from polluting the Yellowstone, the nearby area. But we're going to burn natural gas, which is the most efficient, least carbon intensive way to get energy for base load outside of like nuclear and stuff like that. Um, the judge looked at this afterwards, after an environmental lawsuit, and put a stay on it, saying that they could not go forward with the project because it insufficiently concluded Climate change as a result, the legislature and, and he cited specifically those floods in Yellowstone <laughs> up upstream from the Yellowstone and how those were ultimately called, caused by climate change because we never had floods before now, I guess. Uh and that because of those floods had an economic impact that therefore
3: this would contribute to that so, and therefore be injury and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, let's pause for a second yeah. though. So so some context here that's probably important for some of the listeners. So um in Montana we do have this right to clean and healthy environment. And one of the ways that the legislature has tried to kind of Implement that that vision from a legal standpoint is requiring you know environmental analysis uh, when the government is going to permit a major project like a gas plant. And um, but they they tried to do it in a way that was um, that was uh, reasonable and not so burdensome on both the permitters, the people who are reviewing these permits, and the people who uh, are proposing these projects. So one of the things that they did was they said uh, we're only going to take into account. Um, the effects of on the environment within Montana's state borders, mm. right? And so that's the key part of this case, because what we're saying is that the contribution that Montana makes to the global climate beyond our borders is actually harming the inv- the right to a clean and healthy environment that is owed to Montanans under our constitution, right. and so that's a that's a really interesting and so uh, what I, what happened is the judge actually uh, as a part of this decision struck down uh, that um, that uh, provision that kind of carve out that the legislature mm-hmm. made
1: mm-hmm. and the and the legislature also made a carve out this legislative session in response to the judge's stay on the power plant to say that climate change can't be considered a a factor for these
3: sorts of things. So right. you struck that down too, right? That's correct. Yeah. And so, I mean, this, this power plant that you're talking about, Dave, I mean, it's, it's already built. So mm. like the cake is baked for, for, for that. But what about future power plants? What yeah. about power lines? I mean, now, now there's just going to be more litigation. This is just more work for lawyers. Mm-hmm. Exactly what the world needs. Well, and, and,
1: and here's, so here's <laughs> no. the really interesting how, thing. How else is AI going to make all this money? <laughs> so here's
3: the really interesting thing. Uh, literally this week, a, uh, a, a an article came out that I, I I read into, and Joe Biden's Justice Department is actually making the case that there is no right to a stable climate in the U.S. Constitution. Hmm. They actually said that. That was their defense in a court filing that they just made. Hmm. Um, they said, quote, there is no constitutional right to a stable climate system in the U.S. Constitution. Hmm. What was so, the context of using that argument? Um, you know, I, I would have to go and look back at that article. I wasn't really clear um, what that court case that they were f- making that filing in, what it was all about. Um, but I'm assuming it's probably some sort of permit that's disputed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, don't quote me on that. it's um, but it's, it's one of
1: those it's one of those things that like you make novel argumentation, right, and it's obvious that the US Constitution does not give you a right to a stable climate. yes for a reason (laughs) (laughs) why does why does the u.s constitution not give you a right to a stable climate kendall (laughs) how could it not how could they not we need we
2: need a constitutional amendment right like that's gonna be that's actually gonna be one of the big pushes i imagine i I could see that actually
1: i have Uh, i have have, certainly i have have a i have a new legal theory for us to advance liberty ready Hmm. my son hates taxes Causes them a lot of psychological harm when I, I have I love pay taxes. this. It's true. So, we're going to do a lawsuit saying all taxes are a harm and therefore we'll get rid of all taxes.
0: I'd like to tack on to that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm actually afraid to have children because my tax bill is so high, I don't think I could afford it. <laughs> Inflation. And that's causing me tremendous anxiety. <laughs>
3: Well, exactly. Right. Right. You might actually have a good case there because, um, you know, that's you're exactly right, Dave. I mean, like our Bill of Rights, they're all negative rights. So that means it's rights where people should not do something. Right. So um, government must, because we have a right to, you know, uh, life, liberty and property, the government cannot just wantonly infringe on those rights. Um, that's something the government cannot do. They cannot regulate speech, for instance. Um, when you have a positive right, like a right to a clean and healthy environment, it's saying that somebody somewhere has a duty to provide a clean and healthy environment. Um, as if we, as we were talking about with the Maui fires, as if humans even are close to controlling our environment, you know?
1: Yeah, or or or, or 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 we've been we've actually gotten so good at controlling our environment that almost all climate deaths are are enormously way, way, way down. Mm-hmm. Right? So like to the degree that we now have AC and heating in all these homes that used to kill people only a hundred years ago.
0: So so can I just so, get this straight? So that's like,
1: that's the crazy thing, It's like we didn't get that by guaranteeing a right in the Constitution. We got to the place where we declined climate deaths as low as we have because of the market process mm-hmm. that incentivize the alleviation of human suffering, not because you gave government a duty to provide a thing. Cause since when is the government ever good at providing a thing, right? It can't provide justice very well. It's only thing it's really selected at doing right. Much less it can't provide, you know, foreign security very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's it going to provide you with AC when AC doesn't exist
5: yet?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I think to your point, David, you know, the, abundance of energy that has resulted in the prosperity that we've been able to enjoy in this country over the last, you know, hundred years has come from advancements, you know, through liquid natural gas and other things, you know, power plants and stuff like that. Are we, are we really at a point here in the state of Montana where the anxiety of some kids is going to literally be moving us in the other direction, preventing abundance and prosperity in this state because we can't. Mm develop new sources yeah. of, of energy that are going to provide us all the things that we need in life? That's the worry. That's the worry. Like,
3: and we're seeing a fracture on the left uh, on this issue. There's some, you know, environmentalist-minded uh, folks who are saying, we we have to innovate and we have to build nuclear power plants. We have to build new transmission lines if we need to accommodate electric cars on our grid. Like, we have to do a lot of things that are going to require human innovation and human human uh, productivity. Um, and that's being hampered by the kind of old school conception that productivity and economic growth and human civilization is incompatible with the environment. Mm. That's kind of the what they call the degrowther. Um, attitude, and that was very prevalent back in the 1970s when they passed a lot of these environmental laws in this country, like the um, you know the, the Environmental Protection Act and the Endangered Species Act, and all these things. And unfortunately, Nixon you know was accommodating to all of that. Um, it was politically advantageous, I guess, back then. Um, but it, it well, is they, got, they also started the D, the EPA. Yeah, and the and
1: Department the of Education, and he got us off the gold center. Like he, Nixon. I can't, I can't think of a single thing he did that was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like now, well, and here's the pro- not a Not one. He raised taxes for God's sake. And not here's not the problem. problem. He didn't
0: even. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that was the best thing he did. It was the, I'm, not the, <laughs> I'm not a
3: crook. I'm not a crook. So I mean, but here's the here's the big problem. So we're, we we've talked about you know kind of just the silliness of this, but really this has this type of conversation where we're talking about people having a right to a clean and healthy environment. Uh, or a positive right to healthcare, or a right to education, for instance. You hear those terms thrown around by the left a lot these days, by Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, you know, AOC's all about that kind of stuff. But here's the problem with that. That is fundamentally at odds with the separation of powers in our governing system that our founders wisely set up, because it puts the courts in a position of potentially prescribing what kind of laws need to be passed.
0: Right. And, and it also conscripts someone's labor exactly. on behalf of someone else mm-hmm. saying, if you, well, if you deserve free healthcare, well, then some doctor somewhere has to give you that free health care. They have to provide you that service that they probably went to school for many, many years to to, um, to, you know, be educated on in order to provide you with this thing for free.
3: Yeah. Rand Paul has a great video uh, back in the day. I think he was debating Bernie Sanders. Do you remember this when yes. he, he, yeah. he he equated uh, a right to health care as slavery? Right. And that's what it is. You're yeah. constricting somebody's labor, and you're forcing them to provide you a service, uh, potentially against their will. All but yeah, I'm I mean, it's, that I
1: think Winchester Arms should have to provide me for it with a gun <laughs> in order to fully pursue. <laughs> the freedom of the Second Amendment. Wow. This is the argument that they use. Well, this yeah, is- and it, it, it's, it's not good because... I, it, when Kendall's on, I get to troll. I love it because he's, t- he's pulling all the intellectual weights over here just like, hey, guys, what would be funny if... <laughs>
3: <laughs> it, it's just so sad. I think it and, and it does come to a lack of education, too, about mm-hmm. a lack of understanding and appreciation really for the ingenious or the, the 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 real genius that our founders had when designing our governing system in this country mm-hmm. where we had separated powers and we said we're going to give the government all levels of government but the but the federal government especially a designated set of things they can do and then things that they absolutely cannot do mm-hmm. And nothing else is allowed. I mean, that's the way that our system was was set up. We had the Bill of Rights. Those are things that government cannot do. It's a list. And then, you know, in the actual Constitution, it says explicitly, here are the delegated powers to Congress, to the executive branch, to the judiciary, and nothing else. That's limited government. And by introducing this idea of people having a positive right rather than a negative right, we're blowing that system up. And we're, as you know, kind of in reference to Hayek. I mean, that's putting us on the road to serfdom Absolutely. in a true sense. Uh, and that's not good. Right. And, this, uh-huh. and this, and this, and this—the idea of
1: positive rights itself traces itself back to our very favorite president ever, Woodrow Wilson. Yes, of course, right? Woody. Yeah, good old, good old Woody. The reason why we have the Fed, the reason why we have the concept of a permanent bureaucracy, the reason why we have the concept of the fourth branch of government that is supposed to run despite whoever is in the, the experts at the CDC are going to tell us that's Woodrow Wilson. Same guy is also the guy who came up with the idea that you have a positive right to a healthful food supply or to housing Mm. or to these things that has informed progressivism since that time. So all this progressive ideas that we have today trace our lineage directly back to him um, and his work as a college professor and then also as eventually as president.
2: Well, and that's an important thing, too, is like how much of current political dynamics are Directly part of the progressive ethos, like even a lot of conservative arguments are still kind of embedded in the progressive ethos that's been a hundred years like coming up. Things like the welfare, like Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid, like you can't get, like you can't even talk about those. Hands it, off it, on Medicaid. Even even if you're like a Republican, that's like you know, yeah, like sacred cow. Get yeah, get right. spending under control and all this stuff, but like you can't touch those, and that's all part of the progressive ethos that is like over a hundred years old now, mm-hmm. um and even just right-wingers don't realize how much of their own ideology is, is embedded inside of that ethos still.
1: Yeah, the best, the best way to formulate, it, I think, to kind of align your mental model with the way the ideas have evolved is to think that there was a counter-revolution to the American Revolution in 1913, where we instituted a bunch of things that then very slowly crept us incrementally to World War II, where there was an additional double down on that counter-revolution to establish all the estate and all the infrastructure that we currently live with, right? That's just... An initial impact, a kind of a timeline of swinging the opposite pendulum with like Calvin Coolidge and a few other folks. And then with the Great Depression and the election of FDR, a crisis of fully embodying the progressive movement. We now live in the progressive era. That's our status, Mm -hmm. right? We live in an extra constitutional era. We haven't been constitutional for a very long time on a lot of issues. Um, Fourth Amendment, right? we say the fourth amendment limits the government from being able to look at your papers and effects, but we say but that doesn't count when it comes to digital data and it doesn't count if we buy it from a private company. Yeah. Or if we think you're as, a terrorist, yeah, yeah. as long as we do it, <laughs> as long as we don't do it, as long as we get Google to do it, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. That's existing where we're at when it comes to fourth amendment. Uh, if the FBI can say that this news, you don't get to see this news story. That's not suppression of your first amendment, right? To communicate about a news story or to talk about it.
3: Yeah. Um, no, like that. I do think that there, there are opportunities for folks in the broader liberty movement here. I mean I, I think that the, the um, just the I guess a mental model to use that word or just that, that, that um, philosophy or ideology of progressivism is fundamentally wrong. but I don't think that should scare people from building bridges with progressives who believe things like housing is a human right or you mm-hmm. know there is a right to a clean and healthy environment. Because from my perspective, what that does for them, hopefully, is it hastens the urgency of solving some of these big challenges we have. So solving the housing crisis um, as quickly as we can, solving climate change as quickly as we can. Let's do it. One, We just talked about that. We need human innovation. We need productivity growth. We need to make uh, poor countries that have really dirty industries to be uh, uh, wealthier quicker so that they can care more about the environment, have time for that. Um, these are things that, that we can work on together with the other side. We just can set aside the fact that like we fundamentally disagree about human rights. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, and, and at the end of the day, sometimes you need to do that to get something passed. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you, it's, it's what you do that matters, not what the other person believes. And that's, that's one of the things that we often run into. So like um, working out with somebody to pass zoning reform, we'll work with a bunch of lefty organizations. I think it's a human right, but we're not building housing projects with the government, mm-hmm. right? We're deregulating the market. Exactly. So whose interest is being served? Their interest is being served. In fact, that there's going to be a more abundant market because of the private economy and your interest is being served because you now get a freer market and more abundance through
3: the private economy. Wow. And, and what's funny is that it comes full circle, especially on the housing thing. So hmm. if you think housing is a human right, it's only a short time until you get to, well, I have a right to use my property the way I want to as long as I'm not harming anybody else. Hmm. And that's,
2: libertarianism that's it <laughs> right, right i like that well one of one of the big problems is like i, I kind of hate about the word progressive is it's one of those magic words that doesn't really mean anything anymore because like people that call themselves progressives now aren't necessarily directly like derivated from well, the they Witcher don't even Wilson know that's the crazy like thing they, like they, they don't realize them. what the progressive era is right. like like you'll you'll listen to somebody like a lot of people that I consider to be like good liberals, like people like Jimmy Dore and things like that, that are kind of like these anti-establishment lefties. Mm-hmm. Like they call themselves progressive, but they have nothing to do with like the Woodrow Wilson. Like they do <laughs> right. not stem from that line of thought. Like, right. like progressivism is much more like the Hillary Clinton type of uh, like type of stuff where it's like the technocratic elite uh, yes. ideology that is like the, the managerial class that is going to kind of control everything through all these different bureaucracies and, and agencies. And that's right? kind of what separates like what comes from progressivism. And that's you know?
3: kind of what separates like, so-called progressivism from like a pure socialist ideology or communism and, well, and from liberalism, pro- progressive right? liberalism progressivism
2: yeah. is much more of like a derivation of fascism. Like it's, it, mm. it comes directly like, like the people were looking at Germany and wanted it to be more like Germany. <laughs>
1: like before, like, to be clear before we knew about the, not the, the concentration camps, yeah. when Hitler was on the front of time magazine, when mm-hmm. Mussolini had a top ranking song saying you're the tops Mussolini in the 1920s. Oh. Like this is, this is, this is, there was a period in time where the American public was fascinated with getting things done and the trains running on time mm-hmm. and with, you know, and to quote, and to bring in the spirit of my little brother, Russell, g- uh, eugenics was a huge scientific consensus mm-hmm. that everybody was obsessed with in a very religious way.
3: Social Darwinism. They they wanted, they wanted, not, not social they, they, they wanted like different than that. social they, they Darwinism is wanted...
1: associated with, with free market capitalists saying, the person who makes who, who merits the most amount of wealth deserves to get that for Darwinist means. Mm. That's different than eugenics, which is the government should play a role in shaping the future of the genome the same way it does the future of the economy, Crafting the future the perfect of the babies. culture, oh, things like that. Exactly. That the government should, I mean, literally in California, hundreds and hundreds of people were sterilized because the government said they weren't smart enough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, like th- these are the, the real human we- tragedy that happened in the United States. And the United States is actually a leader on eugenics all the way up until the rise of Hitler. And until like they that. realized it could result in Nazis. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> this, yeah. Is, this is the base. Well, until it. we had to fight the Nazis. And, yeah. And, and, and sorry, I'm sorry I keep yeah. interrupting Kyle, but th- this is a really important thing. If, you, if, you, if you're going to understand our moment, you have to understand the counter-revolution. The counter-revolution was a moment where we became a different word for fascist called progressive. And that doesn't mean current pro- progressives are fascists. But if you think the CDC is the only person who can talk about, you know, what is true, you're being a fascist. Right. Because what other what how much more hierarchical can you get? This person has a PhD. You don't get to talk to them, right? The, 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 Peter Hotes shouldn't debate RFK Jr. because he has a degree and so he's right. That's all you. That's all the information you need. That is totalitarianism. That is fascism. If you combine that with that he should be in charge of society to make sure we direct society all in a singular unified direction. That's Mussolini's vision of fascism.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, I've read the doctrine on fascism, Giovanni Gentile, who was the ghostwriter for Mussolini on this. And that's the entire premise of the book is that you have this end up like corporate state merger that comes together where you have like dictates from the top, but then you, you use free market energies, uh, to live within this like framework that is put forward by the top bureau- bureaucrats and the elites. So they kind of say like, this is what we need. And then you let the free market work towards that end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's all America has been for the last hundred years. Right. Basically and this it, way, it, it is, it is straight up Mussolini. Fascist, this is what and, irritates me because wow, they like,
1: think progressivism is leftism, right? but it, the the and and fascism is, is rightism which is could not be more false these are these are actually the same idea because because it, it, as long as what you mean by rightism means a respect for individual rights which means you know when it comes to the economy means you get to set the aim of your business fascism and progressivism agree your business should only exist to the degree that it suits the aims of the state that's where they agree and that's where the left right dichotomy is right wing should believe not all do right but if you're going to use it i think appropriately in a property rights regime of individuals deciding the direction of that they want to take things and then the country all heads in a, in a particular direction not directed by anybody that's a spontaneously ordered direction set by all the individuals setting their own aims. while what progressives and fascists believe and agreed on along with the marxists that the government should set the aims. So the only difference that they had to agree between progressivism fascism and marxism was that marxists believe everything should be owned by the government and progressive and fascists agreed, agreed that the government should, you know, only set the direction, should not own the means of production. And they should set up a cartel of industries to keep, prevent, you know, additional competition. Like you can find American thinkers on, on, you know, talking about this in fascist ways in America at the time. And it was very, very popular. They filled up New York Times Square with you know large meetings of progressives at the time talking about how they're going to make the pe- better the, fe- be- the, the future better using this idea of eliminating doggy dog capitalism bringing everything into a singular cartel so that we can make sure everything's heading in the right direction set by the government well and mm. this is
2: the important thing too kind of going back to your uh, eugenics points and kind of the sterilization that was going on in the in the teens and the 20s is people don't realize like things don't have to be the way that they are. A lot of the things that we just kind of take for granted of this is just how we do things are just part of this progressive ethos and they've been that way for a hundred years. Like the very idea of marriage licenses in, in, uh, in the United States comes from the progressive era. And it was, Whoa. it was entirely a means of like eugenics. It was all, it was all part of the eugenics stuff. Like there was no state run marriage licenses until like the twenties. So right. it and, was
3: like preventing
1: interracial marriages, things like that. Things, and yeah. they it's were also, all, and, also where most of our anti prostitution and human trafficking laws come from. Mm-hmm. Wow. To prevent interracial relationships and travel.
2: A, a lot of them, a lot of the state marriage licensing laws were directly as part of laws that were part in sterilization programs of prisoners too. Like yeah. they were like linked together in the same arguments and everything, right? Like, yeah. Yes, um, like all of this comes out from the progressive era. Like yeah. a lot of the things that are like just these state things that we do, like oh yeah, you're getting married, you go sign the piece of paper. That all stems from this era. Like, right. and we we just kind of take it's just what we do now. Yeah. Like yeah, that right. doesn't
1: even get into the religious <laughs> angles of this. That all the people who are major features of the show were all former people who were all prohibitionists, who mm. are all people who are related to the uh, the revivalists of the 19, the late 1800s into the early 18, 1900s, who were all Christian nationalists who all believed in a Christian state that we're all going to do everything together. Like these are all interweb. Meanwhile, we have Christian nationalism is the biggest threat from the right. Mm. Right. I mean, it it, being written by the media, the, the education level of how ideas work in America is so low and we just don't have the language for it. And that's what, that's why I'm I think our biggest comparative advantage hopefully is to actually get people some grounding to understand where we're at. Cause I constantly run into well-meaning conservatives who are just like, well, if we just implement the constitution, it'll make sense. And I was like, well, it, bro, like you're a hundred years behind. Like we got a, we got a lot of work to do between here and there. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah that, that's
2: like. yeah. And I think you're, you know, what I'm about to say here is like that that's my biggest problem with politics in general is it just feels like we're fighting these old battles that it's like, These things were figured out Like these, this battle was over a hundred years ago. Like we're in a new moment right now and we have to adjust to the new moment. We have Mm -hmm. to understand where technology is. We have to understand like the whole capitalism for socialism debate. Like that's a hundred years old. (laughs) We're we're on a new thing now. And, but everybody in politics is still just like locked into this. And I I think part of it is just like the baby boomers are still kind of stuck in their like cold War, war mindsets that they had and the battles that were had 40 years ago. But Hopefully, we can move out of this and start to move on to like what the the new problems are right now. Right. Well, I mean, we're we're, stuck. We're we're stuck. We're always we're de-
1: always deliberating uh, like a new expression of the same old problem, right? Which is who should decide, who gets who gets the right to decide the direction of the country? Should it so individuals or should the government? Right. We're just going to circle around that until people decide until there's a moment that creates consensus, right? Uh, and and that's what happened, right? World War II was a moment of consensus. The Cold War was another moment of consensus, right? in the favor of the state there are other examples deregulating the airline industry under carter was a consensus moment that actually it's not best for the government to decide everything because airlines are expensive and mismanaged hmm. you know so like those consensus moments i think come up spontaneously they're hard to predict and they're hard to know um like right now like john stewart had some stupid socialism video go viral this week where he's saying well socialism means you know rights for workers and no, know, that's not what that means. Yeah, <laughs> right, not, yeah, no. Right. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's you like, know, like it just, all these just are like just like, it, These right. are all just
2: words that people are throwing around. Like yeah. none of these words mean anything yeah. anymore. And that's kind of what I'm always talking about with like these magic words that capture people. Right. Like, like people are just like, it's, it's much more of like a virtue signal to people. It's just like, I'm using this word. So like, I'm on your team, I'm part of your tribe and I'm not part of that tribe. And that's all that these things mean. So like Jon Stewart putting out like socialism is just the, like, he doesn't understand any of this stuff. Like he, he <laughs> he's a comedian. Yeah, he's a, he's a comedian. Like, <laughs> well, and that's not to say like, there's a lot of comedians that do understand sure. things. It's just like, sure. he's just got this platform and he's just saying things and people are like, yes, I'm part of the same team. Well, right? And
1: he has a philosophy, right? And he he, he probably legitimately thinks that. The, tri- the, the trick is, is to the degree is, what is he, is he actually interf- interfacing, like working with or dialogue with the rest of the intellectual, like, historical record of what socialism means. And if he means something else, he's like, I want to change what socialism means, fine, go ahead. If you want to say, I want to reframe what this should be into a new direction, fine, go ahead. But don't claim that you're actually speaking for socialism, right? And and that's the same thing with, like, don't claim to speak for supporters of the free market when you say that they all support things like, you know, corporate welfare, right? Think about it like this. Cato Institute puts corporate welfare around $100 billion, right? Of like active corporate welfare programs. This is the the export import bank, things like that on the federal level. Way more on the local level, right? States and localities, they have all kinds of corporate welfare. So probably that number is 10 times that once you get to all the states. We spend $1.2 trillion annually on welfare. That's just Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And that's not chip. That's not all the state programs on welfare. Like the scale of difference on those two things, like we are way more socialist, if by John Stewart's own definition, than we are, you know, by a capitalistic definition of it. So, like the the yeah yeah, you're, you're right. The entire framework is just broken. The question is, how do we create new ones? How do we how do we help people actually understand mm-hmm. where they're at and how to move forward? Implementing principles that make the world a better place, mm-hmm. uh, that that are compatible with their individual morality and what they want to see for other countries.
2: Well, and I think a lot of like, I think there's no question we're living in a very chaotic moment right now. Everything feels very chaotic and it feels mm-hmm. like we're on the verge of some sort of big change and whatever that big change happens here. And I think it's, it's probably going to be some figure is going to come forward and kind of harness that change towards some direction. And it's it's a matter of what that direction ends up being and who that figure is. I no, think that, right I think now.
3: that's totally right. I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the uh, the Maui virus, where I think people are craving this idea of somebody coming in and showing leadership and leading from the front and saying, this is what we need to do. Let's let's do anything we need to do to get it done, like anything and everything. We'll make it happen because I, I think that we need people in this country who are going to point to what the right things are and uh and and i
5: think or that's the wrong the, things or the wrong things like, too. It, The, the direction well.
1: could go in a lot of different directions interesting, and I, yeah, I, especially because like you're like we need to move on to new topics but the guy in argentina right this new presidential candidate who just won yes. the pre-race right before it goes on to the general election is is what he's talking about is why central banking's a scam
2: He's a libertarian e- economist, too. yeah, like and important. like he's
1: getting tremendous support. Like you got arenas full of people ch- shouting stuff, incredible support. And, and like, and you're like, he's adjudicating an old problem, but he's but it's something about there's something about saying, hey, this is a common cause for a bunch of different phenomena that we just solved in a radical way. It would solve all kinds of problems. Vivek is doing a good job
3: mm-hmm. of articulating a very similar vision. Well, I think I, another good example too that's maybe a little bit more negative is um, the uh, Bikele. In, uh, yeah,
2: Bukele and El Bukele. Salvador. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, because he came in and said, We have got to solve this gang problem. Hmm. And and it doesn't matter what it takes, we need to solve it. And he and he put together a plan and he he, in, to some extent, has solved this.
2: Well, one of the things, too, and this is part of his criticisms of the West right now, is a lot of the gang problems that are happening in El Salvador are directly because of intelligence operations of Western mm. countries right now. Mm. And they're, they're direct results of that. And, and then he's also being like, and the IMF's a problem, and we've got to buy Bitcoin, and we got to do all this stuff, right? And that's right. causing a massive, and now there's all this propaganda going towards him is that, that he's this big dictator. Yeah, I think that- Even though he, he won as a third party. And like, like that, it's crazy. Like that El Salvador has a two party system very much like ours. And he came up and won as a third party as this like young, he's like, he's like Vivek's age. And now his party
3: is in power of all branches of government. I mean, so yes, I I think it can go negative. You know, I mean, I think that uh, a good way that I've heard it put is, um, you know, the people of El Salvador have essentially made uh, a short term sacrifice or a long-term sacrifice of their political system in the hopes of short-term benefit. They of, want of
1: they, incarcerating all these people. They yeah. They yeah. they needed well, the gang. The, the violence. I, I think solved. you guys are
2: saying that there's like. El well, Salvador has a real bad gang problem. Oh yeah, I wouldn't call this like a negative thing of no, no, the, them cleaning up the streets. It was on right? them, it, but it was their it was the their violation
1: of, of civil liberties, I think, is the criticism. Yeah, right? from that our, they're not getting full due process, and they're just kind of being gamed up. I think right there's up. a lot
2: of looking at this thing from an American lens. That's what right I'm, I'm saying. I'm not sure, sure I know enough about it. The people in
3: El Salvador would say, I mean, his approval ratings are sky high, and what they say is that it's worth it like we, we don't well that's it, not as important to us right
2: well, it's the same thing as like we're seeing globally a lot of like there's the there's the lady in italy that's that's come rose up and she's very much anti-nato and all this stuff right there was bolsonaro that happened and now he's he's out of office and there but like like i, I was talking to a friend down in sao paulo and and, Bol- and when bolsonaro got elected and the whole thing like it was a very much this trump mo- movement of like there's so much blatant corruption within the politics there and he was going in arresting all these corrupt uh, political officials and you know know he gets he gets to be seen as this dictator, but it's just like it's one of those things where you have so much blatant corruption. Right. It's like, what are you supposed to do here? Right. And, and, it, and, there, and there's all question. these military coups yeah. that are going on in Brazil with right. this, and he just got booted out of office. But it's just like we're looking at it through this like, you know, this lens <laughs> from a distance here, but it's just like these countries got to fix their problems somehow. And how are you going to fix them? And I think the
3: the kind of cohesive theme here is that the the people who are these these leaders who are rising around the globe, um, who are actually making change and shaking things up within their their political systems, wherever they are, they have sweeping big time visions of the future where they're saying we're going to radically change the system. And what you hear all the time, and this is why people don't like politics in America, because when you have a presidential debate between two 80 year olds, they're coming <laughs> up there and say and saying, uh, well, I'm going to tinker around the edges of this and I'm going to lower the tax rate one percent and like all this kind of stuff. And it's not saying, you know, it's not it's not uh, speaking to people's um Wants and and what they crave uh, of big, huge, sweeping reforms that are different than what we've been doing in the past. Mm. Something with a vision, right? Yeah, something with a vision, exactly. And 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 I think that the 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 challenge for folks who support individual liberty and human freedom is that if we don't deliver a vision like that, and we don't paint a vision for the future that is. Big and sweeping and, and radical, then uh, somebody else is going to come up with a different vision, mm-hmm. and they're going to lead the future. Right. So I think right now we have to be bold, and we can't just be, um, you know, getting into you know little niche arguments and you know talking about like kind of the tinkering around the edges. We need to say no. We need to address these problems root and stem.
2: Well, and it's important too. Like I just pulled up right here. This is the uh, Argentine peso to the USD chart right now, and over the last ten years, the Argentine peso is down ninety eight point four percent. Right. <laughs> Like th- so what does that mean for the people in Argentina? Well, I, I think what it means right now is like people are looking for some sort of answer right now, and mm-hmm. this guy down in Argentina—I can't remember his name—he's uh, that's causing all this drama because like I think he just won his primary right, and now he's going on to a general election. Correct. They have like happening? a runoff system. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: Um, his name
1: is—is uh, is... it's a little more than a primary. Javier. Like he's, he's now boiled down to just him and one he's like he's the party lead basically yeah Yeah.
2: like um but like what it happens is people are like wanting some sort of change right now and i think that there is this big upswell that's happening right here and this is just important to realize is like when the argent the argentine peso has been crumbling crumbling for like, this is only 10 years. Like, pull up, pull, by, pull back the chart even more. It's going right. to look even worse. Yeah, pe- people right. are
3: right. in Argentina. I mean, literally, if you travel there and you take out, like, a traveler's check or, or, or you convert your U.S. dollars into, like, the local currency, by the time you leave, if you're going to stay there for a couple of weeks, it could be – it could appreciate, you know, like – 40% or 30% or something like that. So you could, <laughs> that's
0: I, I, how quick this inflation I, problem is. I know
3: going. I've
2: heard stories of uh, a certain billionaire was, uh, he was doing a bunch of work in Argentina. And when, uh, when the initial collapse had all happened back in the day is Michael Saylor. Uh, like, I remember him talking about this, if you know who he is, uh micro CEO. And he's, he was saying that like when everything was going down and nobody could pull their money out of the banks. So he was like, he literally was just started buying yachts and, and was going to like, sail them back to America as, as like himself. a as, as an inflation hedge mm-hmm. <laughs> during this time that's wild I, 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 we cannot
3: wait I mean in this in America my fear is that we it's gonna have to get as bad as like Argentina yeah. um, for us to actually do something that's well, we, my fear we do have these really
1: interesting signals I think rich men, north of richmond is yeah, a great the all over anthony thing right mm-hmm. where you have this guy and obviously we, we we talked about it last podcast but there's been all this it continues to reverberate who is this guy what is he about what does this mean for our moment that this got so super viral so quickly that so many people watched this and got tears in their eyes you know with his delivery his performance and the content and why why is it i mean the, obviously the left is saying this issue is obviously a right-wing issue. Why? Why is he, why is he right-wing? Why is he wrong? He's, he's betraying. He's saying all the wrong things. He's saying he, he's the representative of the lower class, and all the programs we support are actually bad. Right? He says, I'm a representative of the middle of the class, and you care more about protecting Epstein and the Epstein client list than you do about the minors who live here. Right. And he doesn't make a climate change point, but he does point out that you got to do, you know, like they don't care about minors anymore. They don't care about actual middle, lower class jobs. And then he says, you know, that we got this injustice of people who are obese, who get their fudge rounds. And uh, those fudge rounds are being paid for by the tax dollars of men who are putting themselves 10 feet in the ground, uh, you know, working themselves to the bone every day and how that is unjust. And that has that cause, obviously caused a big left-wing reaction. And then, of course, like clockwork, the National Review has to also take a giant dump on the whole thing, too. It basically said, well, actually, things are getting a lot better in America than people realize. <laughs> and he should write a song about how great America is, not what our problems are
0: and for those that don't know the national view is a conservative publication not a left well, we've
1: yeah. talked about it before it's a whole cia up you can, uh, no, oh I'm,
2: kidding. I'm kidding i'm kidding That's it's true
1: it, <laughs> at least it probably was buckley, in the 1970s. And buckley
0: and
2: james Burnham were part of the cia <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. yes. before they were commentators but uh, we also know that you never quit the cia yeah. <laughs> now we're gonna see we could have gone one episode without saying cia and now we have and we and if we were monetized We'd have lost it. Now here's the,
3: but there okay, but there is one aspect of this that I have seen online that I I believe is true that um you know this wasn't necessarily an organic operation that um you know this individual who's going viral for his his song it's a great song but it uh, was definitely pushed by he has like a promotional. Uh, consultant or whatever he's working with who's tied to the Daily Wire. Oh really. So yeah. Is yeah. that a new thing or was that before mm-hmm. he got
5: picked?
2: I think I, I thought he got picked up by the Daily Wire after.
3: Yeah. I believe that it was actually before, but I, I guess so Like, can Well do act, do good you, on the, the Daily
2: Wire for producing culture. Yeah. Well yeah.
3: exactly because like yeah.
2: yeah. this has been the problem with conservatives for decades. Right. Uh if not a century, <laughs> is that there's no culture. But it, it does bring up impossible at creating
1: culture. Yeah it does bring up things and so Reason did the same thing, right? They reason also had to say, oh well it's you know it's kind of complicated. They didn't a little bit better, but they do. They minimize the Epstein references in right. their article. That that was really disturbing. It's I mean, it's, it's always strange. They said to It was me. too online. It, it's always strange, strange to me. Have seen uh, yeah. horsing around. You know, like what? what? He was just horsing around. <laughs> no, 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 they don't judge us about like that. Aww. But they they just it makes reference to epstein well, specifically
2: mm. what they said is and the sex trafficking shenanigans of jeffrey epstein Oh, that's, that's, just, that's, that's the quote. Yeah. Have it right here. In front definitely like, wasn't that's like not the a right
3: crime word. yeah
2: well well this <laughs> is this is my given problem with the beltway types always whether it be the libertarians or the conservatives is that they always seem to bend over backwards to defend to defend the establishment forces of dc mm. they always just happen to do that they always fall in that way instinctually or they want to
3: prove themselves right like they want to <laughs> I mean, like the South Park would put it, they want to smell their own farts, you yeah. know. Like that, that's what yeah. they want to do. <laughs> right.
1: It, well, I mean, also, also, like they are the people that are subject to the song in a sense, right? Obviously, he's talking about politicians, and these people all live in D.C. and all their friends and all the people that are around.
5: It's are a cultural running thing. in the same crew. like. There's group. a yeah.
2: culture that persists around D.C. that tends to be, that tends to just kind of they all kind of defend each other regardless, right. even if they're on like different teams, and mm. and they and there ends up being this like antagonism between DC and everybody else in the country. Well, let
1: let me steal Manor Um, from their point
2: of view. There's a, there's a
1: level of resolution that things are better now than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and way, way better. Once you get beyond 50 years, like very measurably, tangibly, incredibly better. The amount of time it takes for you to make money, even at low uh, income is, it, it means you can get way more access to goods and services in an hour of work at low income the poverty rate globally lower every measure of human prosperity and wealth lower except for the lifespan of single male or sorry male adults
2: but but then here's also another thing is like in part of the song some of the lyrics like he's talking about inflation he's talking about like the dollar ain't worth shit anymore and it's taxed to no end right like that's the whole thing right and it's like like those are very justified and valid feelings that you that make for good lyrics in a song right it, and it's right. also and it's, like, it's i want to like negotiate genre, the too. truth
1: of like a macro phenomena yeah. with the emotion of the of how you feel about your given society and the real problems that people are facing right it's it's part of it i think is like an actually moment right yes was like, well actually things are a lot better than they look you know like that's but it's but like are, a hyper intellectualizing something that's meant to be emotional and that's why it's cringe or it's that you're trying to make a particular criticism about a particular problem that we have and try to say, that's not important. What's important is a larger picture when no, that's not actually true. It actually could, could be really important, right? Inflation can be a problem and we'd be
2: far better off if we didn't have it. Well, and are, are we better off than we were in 2020? Like, I, I think that's, cause, Oh, cause yeah, like, that here, times, you know, here's also a thing point. too, is like, yeah. like, yes, the chart says over the last five thousand years that we're going up like this. Well, even but, fifty. But there's this is the pro- but this is the <laughs> problem. No, but like this is this is yeah. the uh, the progressive view of history is that we're always going up and up and up. Sure. But just like markets or just like anything else, there are dips down that happen. Right. And like, right. you know, there was a thousand years of darkness in, a, in, a, in, in European <laughs> history. Right. When we went into the dark ages, like, like there was a time where everything was going up and then the Roman empire fell and everything went down and then yeah. we went back up again. Right. And it's like, we could be going into a dip again. Right. Like, and like, that's the thing that we should be concerned about.
1: And there's always right? a persistent, like, paranoia about that that mm-hmm. civilization can end tomorrow that there's you know we get hit by an asteroid or the right disease or whatever yeah so it's always like it's always around the corner and we don't know when it's going to happen so there's there's justifiable like concern about that and there's also like apocalyptic stuff like climate change apocalyptic stuff like everything's going to end five years you know type <laughs> stuff so it, it can be all of these things can be true simultaneously that in general we're free enough and we have good enough systems that things have generally gotten better in the last 50 years it could also be true that things could get far worse if we continue certain trends that are disturbing, like the climate change stuff. Mm-hmm. And it could be true that there are real suffering happening by real individuals, and we should write a song about it, we should talk about it, because that makes those people feel seen. And that moment of feeling seen and supported by the culture at large is
3: important part of the healing of that. That sounds kind of liberal.
0: Well, well, I it, like it though. Well, it's
2: just—it's just like human progress does often <laughs> yeah, okay. kind of take the take, like human progress kind of looks like the Bitcoin chart, where sometimes like it looks like if you spread it out, it's like up into the right, yeah. but occasionally there's these times where it goes from sixty thousand to ten thousand, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, right? and it goes down ninety percent, right? Like that—that right. that is how human progress works sometimes too. Mm. Um, you're trying to signal that we got to end Joe. Oh man,
0: <laughs> We've been over. at it over two hours wow. and I know should Dave, go another hour, guys. Dave's got a phone call to take.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. It's literally time for your <laughs> I phone <know>.
0: call. <laughs> oh wow. Kendall, thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of human reaction. It's We're been a pleasure. So glad to have you. Please come back and join us again. I will. Awesome. Well, for David Rand, for Kyle Mack, thank you so much for watching. Please do like, subscribe, follow, share all that wonderful stuff. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash humanreactionpod. And remember...